Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is the Chase Doesn't Know podcast, and this is an episode with Nolan Rennerson. Nolan is a good friend of mine, so spoiler alert, I do uh, have some knowledge of some of the things that we talk about. He didn't educate me the whole time, but I was... Uh, not surprised, but also pleasantly surprised to learn some great stuff from him during this long uh, episode. Hope you stick in there with us while we chat about a number of different things. The main one is Coastal Conservation Association of Louisiana, and that was a mouthful, actually. Normally, it's called CCA. Nolan works for CCA, and uh, that's a nonprofit that, as you can guess, does a lot of great work to conserve the outdoors for Louisiana uh, and across the nation. So we talk about that a good bit and Nolan's role in organizing events and managing people and, uh, and communicating with chapters across the state. Uh, we also talk about the outdoors, as he loves the outdoors, uh, hunting and fishing and all of the above, uh, and knives. So I know some of the people listening to this uh, may be knife collectors or know about knives. Some people may know that I love knives and try to collect when the fun, when the funds allow. But Nolan uh, is what some may say an expert on knife collecting. So um, even if you don't necessarily like knives, I think you'll enjoy hearing about why that's something that he loves doing and why uh, it's something that he wants to pass along to his sons. So I hope you enjoy hearing us talk about that. Plus, I think there's a really cool portion uh, that I learned the most from about building relationships with people and getting to know people and uh, and getting through small talk without feeling awkward. A little bonus in there for you. So thanks for downloading this episode. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation with my good friend, Nolan Rennerson. Sometimes like I went in October and I hunted for a black buck and I didn't get one and then I went back in December and I said you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot like early I'm gonna go shoot get it done with and then hang out the rest of the weekend and I hunted from Thursday to Sunday and I shot it on uh, so at nine o'clock I was like I'm done at nine o'clock we're leaving without one (laughs) and uh at 8 54 I pulled the trigger. Wow. That's crazy. And so, I mean, like we hunted hard for him. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then we were spotting stalk. And so we, you know, we'd ride around and when we'd see kind of where they were, we'd get out and we'd try to go stalk up on them. And uh, even then it was a hundred yard shot and two black bucks are fighting. <laughs> and, uh, and so like six minutes left in the hunt and it's like, He's like, shoot, shoot one. I'm like, which one? He goes, either one, left or right, doesn't matter at this point. <laughs> and so and it was a quick shot. It was fast. Um, so there's, you know, sometimes it's easier. And sometimes it's pretty difficult. It's actually hunting. Yeah, it's actually hunting. I mean, it's, cool. and it's a different type of hunting. I, I enjoy kind of a little bit of everything. Like, I loved going to Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also love, like, I was, Sunday, I was at our camp in Livingston Parish, and planting food plots and setting up stands so you know i could hunt that man a big deer out there but it was still fun i enjoy that i enjoy going to texas and seeing all these different animals and like hunting a different way and uh it, it's just i enjoy like all types of hunting <laughs> some people are like well that's not real hunting. that's not it. 
I enjoy it all. Um, Did you hear that? Uh, oh crap. Giles Island. Giles Island's for sale. Is yeah. it? 20 million. 20 million. Wow. It's actually not a bad deal. I was going to say, you know, if now some of that's probably flooded most right. of the year, but still, let's get some people. Yeah, let's get some out. capital. Acre, I got like, a thousand bucks. Best, not a ridiculous like that section, Giles Island and um, all that section up the Mississippi. That's the best hunting. Day. I mean, where your uncle is. I mean, that's, you can't beat that. Mm. I, met, I saw that. I was like, I'm not even that big of a hunter. But I was yeah. like, wow. It's a, is it private right now? Or can you book hunts there? No, you can book hunts. Oh, yeah, okay. no, they're booked up. They're booking for 2021. Okay. I mean, okay. The, you know that's the biggest deer I've ever missed? Was that Giles Island? Was it? Yeah. How big was it? It was an eight point. So it wasn't, you know, it probably would have scored 160, but a mainframe eight. Have I ever showed you that video? I think maybe so. Maybe so. You shot with a bow or a gun? Shot 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 at it it with with a bow or a gun? With a bow. Oh, with a bow. Okay. It was a 50 yard shot. And. You just didn't practice enough? No. I told the guy, (laughs) I said, 40 yards in, I'm good. Uh huh. I said, 40 yards. I'd prefer it 30 yards. (laughs) Right. But 40 yards in, I didn't even have a 50 yard pin because I'm like, look, I'm not even like. I'm going to go 40 yards and in. That's it. And um, 50 yards, he stopped. And the guy said, shoot him? And he said, shoot him. I said, how far is it? He said, 50 yards. <laughs> I thought I said 40 yards are in. <laughs> and he's like, it's now or never. <laughs> and um, I pulled back. And I remember seeing, like, the deer step. But I had already like started my release, mm-hmm. and it took longer than what my mind wanted that release to take. You know, pulling mm-hmm. back. You know, don't just pull the trigger. You're supposed to pull back and ease back on the release. And um, I watched him step forward and turn. He took a step forward and he turned. And at that point, let it go. It would have been a perfect shot. Dang. Had he not moved. <laughs> <laughs> And you got it on film. And I got it on film. I think they film think, everything there. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah. So they got they had a they, camera set up. Surely yeah. you showed it to me. I might yeah, I'm imagine. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure. But he lifts his head up. Master. Monster. Big old eight point. I mean, not. It was impressive. <laughs> but he's not on your wall. But he's not on my wall. So you're going uh, to Texas again. You're saying you're telling me and Carl just a minute ago. Um, what you've been? How many times so far? So this will be my fourth trip. Fourth trip. Fourth year. Fourth year in a row. Yeah. So I went. Um, I went on a trip in eighteen, shot a whitetail, and then went back and took a group, small group, in nineteen October, and a bigger group in nineteen December, mm. and then uh, this year we're going with a, a larger fif- group, fifteen guys, and nice. Uh, sh- should be a good time. So what's the um, I'm asking you about this because you always send me pictures of the stuff that you're seeing and killing, and I'm always mad at you because you're sending me pictures of this yeah. cool stuff. Uh, so it's a it's a ranch over there, and they have whitetail, obviously. But what are some of the other yeah. crazy animals? So they, they have? have whitetail. They've got black bucks, which was what I shot last time. It was an awesome hunt. Um, they've got buffalo, Whoa. Um, zebra. Um, they've got some of the African animals. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they've got some kudu, they've got some um, uh, gimsbach, uh, some some red stag, some elk. Um, elk. That's they crazy. got just everything. On there. It's pretty. It's pretty cool to see all that. It's mm-hmm. like being in Africa. Yeah. Um, you know, it's you. You go there when you go hunting at your place or my place or anywhere in Louisiana. You're gonna see whitetail, maybe. You yeah. know, <laughs> but you're gonna see armadillos and raccoons, and right. maybe a bobcat, maybe a coyote, and you know, maybe some turkeys if you're lucky. Yeah. But there, you're gonna see like a ton of big game, that's and that's cool. the that's it's pretty cool to see all that. I mean, we had the first morning we were there in night in eighteen. Uh, it's like frost on the ground, and buffalo comes walking through. Like walks right under our stand, has frost on his back. Right under the stand. Steam coming out of his nose. That's nuts. Like, it's pretty cool. And this is like the like the prairie buffalo, like the yeah, like the, bi- yeah, bison. the bison. Bison. Yeah, Dang, that's nuts. Yeah, like two thousand pounds. You like know? a car driving by. Yeah. <laughs> so it was that was the first hunt I've ever been on out there. Wow. So it was pretty cool to see. No like, doubt. It, uh, feel it was like the first like cold snap, and so like animals everywhere in the field. All different, probably I don't know ten different species. Dang, and that is like sudden, Africa. Yeah, and then all of a sudden this buffalo walks out <laughs> into the field, and you go, "That's a big old animal," because <laughs> everything else looks small compared to it. You know, right? So, so how 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 much is it if you wanted to harvest a buffalo on the ranch? Uh, I think it varies depending on the size, but you know, somewhere in the five thousand up range. Okay, right. Uh, but it's you know maybe. A thousand pounds of meat. Yeah, that's a lot. That's, you know? a, lot. So, you <laughs> that's a lot of meat. Have you ever eaten buffalo? I have. Um, you know, I've had buffalo burgers before, mm. and then uh, I've had buffalo steaks. It's pretty good. You know, it's it's like beef. Okay. Uh, maybe a little little more like deer meat than a little more like beef than deer meat, but okay. somewhere in between. Gotcha. Um, and so, what are you? Why do you keep going back to this place, and why do you? Why are you bringing people with you? So it's an awesome place. Um, the just the experience of like seeing all that stuff mm-hmm. is cool, um, but just being out there is fun. I mean, they've got a fire pit and you know, big screen TV if you want to go. But most of the time we find ourselves at night around the fire pit having a drink and hanging out, and it's fun, you know. Yeah, and then you go hunt and come back and tell each other about the hunt and you're going to see something mm-hmm. you know it may not be what you're after but you're going to see some cool animals mm-hmm. and it's pretty fun when, when is it this year so it's december 10th through the 13th oh, okay so it's like a week y'all go like a weekend mm-hmm. thing yeah so we get there on a thursday make a thursday afternoon hunt um friday saturday hunt all day and then uh, sunday if we if we need to make a morning hunt to finish it out right we'll, but Usually we're rolling. Nice. <laughs> um, okay, so tell me about the. So you uh, work for CCA. I do. And you do a lot of back and forth with people who hunt and fish and all this uh-huh. stuff. Because we're talking about going um, on these hunts, tell me about what you like the things kind of that you set up uh, and arrange with some of these. Um, uh, outfitters, I was looking for yeah. the word. Some of the outfitters here and abroad with with CCA. Like, what are some of the stuff that you're that y'all do with them? Yeah, so we we try to always partner with outfitters, and so you know we try to make it 
beneficial to those guys. Hey, we're going to send you some customers, and um, but we're going to raise some funds on the, you know, as well. Mm-hmm. And so they'll give us special deals. Uh, sometimes they'll donate them outright, you know, one-time hunt. But we do 32 events a year. Mm-hmm. And so we do 32 auctions. We need 32 solid outfitters, mm-hmm. you know, or, or one to give us 32. We need several of those. So, you know, it's we sometimes we get a guy email us or call us and say hey we'll donate a hunt that's great but we need a like consistent we need to know it's a good place we know need to know that if we send our you know members there they're going to enjoy it mm-hmm. and so you know we'll work out deals with them to where we can send 32 groups of them there and have a good time and um you know, sometimes we have to go vet those places, and um, so vet I, those I, places. Yeah, right. I we get to go hunting. No, I understand what you're saying. Oh, <laughs> uh, actually, you know, Test one, of, one of my coworkers, we're, we we started working with this group from Kansas, uh-huh. um, duck hunts and goose hunts, and um, my coworker is going on a hunt now. He bought it; it's legit. He's <laughs> going with it's a paid trip, uh, but he is going um, with them next week. Okay. Yeah. So he leaves Sunday. He's going to vet them. And he's going to vet them, <laughs> make sure that they're good, so that when we we feel comfortable sending our members there and yeah. kind of know the place and know what to expect. And same thing with Africa. Um, we work with Africa. We work with Argentina and Costa Rica and all these cool places to go and hunt and fish and see things. Um, but we want to make sure that they're good places and so right, yeah. right. All right. So before I breeze past your Texas trip too far. Uh, what are you planning on killing this year? Um, so it's, um, I hadn't decided yet. <laughs> what are some of the top <laughs> options? So I'm, I'm thinking I might do whitetail again, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, pretty cool. They have, um, a thousand acres, um, that low fence that you can go and hunt and there's native deer there and, you know, they'll have some hogs there. They'll have mm-hmm. some different things to hunt there and then the the uh, ranch part is 500 acres and there's all kind of whitetails there but um i think i'm gonna try for a whitetail on the low fence area and see what comes up and then um from there i was thinking um an axis probably nice um possibly a fallow okay psyka don't know what that is it's like a miniature elk kind of look okay it's japanese animal interesting so cool so it looks like why not just do them all you know i mean you can just write a check you know put on the credit card um (laughs) can i get a sponsor for that (laughs) right yeah we'll sponsor you (laughs) the podcast chase doesn't know i'll wear a shirt how how can i swing that for me going on this trip i'll wear a shirt (laughs) uh is that i'm assuming they do bow and gun hunting out there they do what are you and you're gonna be bow hunting possibly Okay. So, um, Bowie Outfitters, I'm on the pro staff at Bowie Outfitters and, um, and I've got a new bow coming in, but I haven't got it yet. Ah. So if it comes in before that, then I'm going to take the bow. Nice. I'm going to take the gun as well. Right. Um, (laughs) but I'm going to take the bow and see what I can do with that. Cool. That's legit. Um, I should interject also because we kind of just started talking about killing animals, but because um, I do want to talk a lot about conservation and why killing animals is good. Because some people, I don't, I don't know if anybody listening to this would be like, oh, they're talking about killing animals. But in case they are, because uh, I also I actually have a lot of uh, questions about that too. But uh, so I mentioned CCA. So let's just go through the, the 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 cliche stuff. What do you do at CCA? 
Yeah, so I've been with CCA nine years, and um, I work with the chapters. We have 30 chapters throughout the state of Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, we operate as a state. There's um, We have 25,000 members in the state of Louisiana, uh, but it's a national organization, and so each state kind of operates independently. We have a national office in Houston. Uh, we've got 125,000 members throughout the nation. Um, so, so the headquarters for Louisiana is your office is my in Baton office. Rouge, correct on Industrial Plex. Yep, and CCA is stands for Coastal Conservation Association. Okay, I and forgot so that. I didn't mention that a second ago. But. We're a group of sportsmen, uh, outdoors people who love fishing and love the outdoors and want to conserve it, and um, and are willing to put up our time and effort and finances and resources to make sure that future generations can enjoy it as well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what I do is I go out throughout the state of Louisiana and work with chapters to find those type of people who care about what we're doing and, um, and care about the coast and and care about the fish and and care about the, the heritage of all that stuff and being able to, you know, do it forever. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what the organization does is protect that. We protect it, and we started in 1983, uh, Louisiana did, and, you know, a, a good portion of the first part of the organization was protecting it, and protecting it from over-harvest, um, both from recreational fishermen and uh, commercial fishermen and, and, and everything else, you know, uh, natural predators, whether that's uh, freshwater and, and, you know, invasion of the, or habitat loss or whatever so a big portion of when we started was mostly protection and then as we developed into an organization um further down the line we started working on rebuilding habitat and so we Mm. rebuild reefs um things that have been lost we've been able to go back and rebuild them uh oil rigs that are taken out Uh, you know oil rigs have these gigantic structures underneath the water that you don't see you know Mm -hmm. you see a portion on the top it's 10 times that big on the bottom and um and whenever an oil rig is decommissioned they're required by law to take it out and so they remove everything they have to remove everything there can't be a bolt left on the seafloor they have to remove it all and so just last year we we launched the first uh, reef uh, near shore reef which is 20 to 40 miles out um, we put an old platform back into the water. Mm. So it was pretty cool. We took the helipad from a, a, an old oil rig and was able to sink it and use it as an artificial reef. But we've also made um, artificial reefs from limestone and crushed concrete. Um, after Katrina, we made one from the uh, twin spans. And cool. so whenever, you know, typically the state would have to take the twin spans out Mm-hmm. You know, they were destroyed. They had to take them out. Then they'd go into a re- recycled yard or, or a scrap yard, and they'd pay to haul it off. Um, so we were able to get a contract to be able to, as they're destroying the bridge and as they're taking it, decommissioning and taking it apart, be able to put it on a barge and put it out in Lake Pontchartrain cool. to create habitat. So as we moved from protection, we moved to enhancement and enhancing these you know, the Mm -hmm. fisheries and the habitat. Um, And then, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago, we really started making a push towards education and educating people about conservation, Um, anything from, you know, Rotary Club meetings and Civic Club meetings and businesses to 
kids, you know, youth groups and um, Boy Scouts and 4-H and all these folks. We go out and tell them what conservation means and what it, why is it important. And, um, and so a lot big part has been education over the last few years, along with, um, you know, the protecting uh, right. and the enhancement. Right. So. so the so the organization is set up. Like, how many people are in the headquarters office that you're in? So currently, we have eight people on staff. Um, we have an executive director, David Cresson. We have um, uh, director of development, um, Rad Trasher, and then we have uh, kind of I'm, I'm in charge of all the chapter stuff. Um, we have a couple folks there that help out without the, throughout the chapters. A couple admin folks. So. Okay. Yeah. And then each the the chapters themselves, do they have people that like organize or run or staff or anything? Yeah, so it's all uh, kind of volunteer driven. Okay. And so uh, a chapter we have thirty chapters throughout the state, mm-hmm. um, some small chapters, some big chapters, and they have a president and vice president, and they kind of run it themselves with our support. And mm-hmm. yeah, you know. so the so some of the uh, like actual things like obviously a lot of what you're doing just from what i know knowing you is running all the fundraising events and things like Mm -hmm. that and then handling member or like you said the chapter stuff with memberships i'm sure stuff like that yeah as far as actually the things that you are doing with that money um like like you just mentioned like if uh if if a person up in north louisiana at a chapter up there wants to do something whatever that may be maybe you have an example of something is that something that his chapter has to fund or is all of it coming through the through your office here? yeah so so all of it comes to the office uh, but it all stays in the state of louisiana and okay. so you know somebody that has a passion for louisiana um, as opposed to some of the other larger conservation organizations uh, that money is going to you know, another state and it's run through the national office. Mm -hmm. All our money stays here in the state and it goes to projects within the state of Louisiana. So, um, you know, folks that want to support the state can support us Mm -hmm. and that goes to the state. Now we have occasionally have some people that are passionate about, you know, a certain area of the state and they want to donate to that and that's fine. We have, um, you know, they come and say, hey, we want to build a reef in honor of this person, my dad, uh, my father-in-law, my son, you know, my business partner, whoever it is. They say, we want to build a reef and we want to help raise funds to do it. Okay, we'll do it. Um, if we can raise the funds, we'll build the reef in their honor. And so it's pretty neat. We have some partnerships that help us build reefs constantly, but a lot of it is grassroots. And so people cool. that say, hey, we want to. We want to do this because we're passionate about it. Mm-hmm. So is it um, like obvious, obviously the name is Coastal Conservation Association. The logo has the the fish, the, the bass on it. Did I get that uh, right? No. no, the, no, no, no. The, uh, hold it's up. It's actually up. the trout. It could be a trout. Okay. That's, what, that's trout. what I meant to say. Is so, trout. So the, uh, so the, by the way, this is I a, saw that. a little bit. This is Coastal Conservation Association. C E A U X. Coastal. Little tribute to the LSU Tigers team. Um, but the, you know, we really got our start with redfish. Uh, so redfish was uh, not considered a game fish. So it was commercially harvested and they were over harvesting it. Mm. And so um, this is really probably a redfish, but could be a trout. Okay. Um, either way, a lot of the. Don't look at me like that, Carl. You didn't know. Um, no, I actually probably so, did. <laughs> 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 so redfish is kind of 
the namesake. The, yeah, yeah. The, the, so you'll see the, that the join CCA sticker with the red fish. Yeah, that's um, that's kind of the the staple. Right, and then uh, of course trout's a big issue, and it's actually a fairly large issue right now. Um, speckled trout population and mm-hmm. what's going on with it, but it is uh, game fish already. So you know it's protected from commercial harvesting. So most of the stuff that y'all do is centered around wetlands and fishing and yeah so it's 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 all coastal stuff although we have you know it's amazing every estuary is connected to the coast Mm -hmm. in some form or fashion Mm -hmm. so you know we have the shreveport chapter that says look we want to do a river cleanup to protect the coast great because all that stuff right floats on down to the coast right and um and so, but most of the work that we do as far as reefs and uh, habitat restoration um, is coastal. Okay. Um, you know, along the coastal parishes. Got it. Um, okay. So tell me about some of the, well, I had a question whenever you mentioned it a second ago about how do you build a reef? Like I, that doesn't, uh, so um, it doesn't register with me. It's like, so what? You how do you build a reef? reef? Yeah. Is one stone at a time. Kind of okay. like how you eat an elephant. Just By the way, I'm not. I'm not saying. Bite at a time. I'm not saying that Nolan is is the civil engineer or whatever yeah. over here. I'm like the specifics, but just so it's actually wondering. it's actually a fairly complicated process to get the permit, and we have to do a survey afterwards. It's got to meet uh, Coast Guard regulations as far as you know where it sits. And we can't just dump a pile of rocks and say <laughs> we built a reef. Good to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have to go through a permitting process. We have to get a site permitted. Uh, once it's permitted, then we have to get materials. Um, sometimes it's recycled materials. Sometimes it's limestone. Sometimes it's uh, we used a sugar mill um, from, uh, I'm sorry, a sugar mill. Uh, we've used a rice building, so an old rice farm. Building, a building. Uh, from Crowley. And you put a building used, in the water. We put a building in the water. Wow, yeah. okay. So we've, uh, Buras High School. Um, so is. Beerus and Plaquemines Parish, okay. um, down, kind of down the Mississippi mm-hmm. when Katrina hit, it destroyed Beerus high school. Um, so instead of hauling that off to the dump, we were able to take apart the high school and go put it where it belongs Interesting. You know, in the, in the water to where fish can, can use it as habitat. So, you know, plankton start. So anyway, well, let me go back to building. So <laughs> yeah. we put the stuff on in the water mm-hmm. um, with a barge. We hire a contractor to do it. Um, they put it in the water. They do a survey afterward. Once it's approved, um, then it's all good to go from there. It's, you know, nobody's going to hit it. It's deep enough right, to where, right. um, you know, it's not a navigational hazard. Um, and then from there, plankton starts growing on it. Uh, smaller fish come and start living within it, eating the plankton. Bigger fish, bigger fish. And it creates a cool. habitat for them as well as a good fishing spot for the fishermen. Yeah, then you can fish the redfish and stuff. Yeah. Does that have any effect on, like, coastal protection, like as far as, you know, with erosion and stuff? No. So everything we've done is under the water. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's a whole different permitting process when you go above water. And so it's it's a lot, it's a lot harder process to do. So to have any effect on, like, protecting land that needs to be above water? Right. So the one thing that we've done really to protect land uh, above the water is the floating island project, which we were talking about earlier. So they take, um, it's this company that builds these mats of recycled plastics. And so they take it, it looks like almost like a Brillo pad 
and mm. it's got these holes in it, um, about man, three inches in diameter, and it's four by eight sheet, or sometimes bigger, but we take that and it floats. So we take that and we plant native marsh grasses in it, and then we float it out to where we want it, and we anchor it down. Those native marsh grasses grow down, and the roots grow down into the marsh, and marsh builds underneath them. Um, so one of the protection things that we've done is along Highway 1 to Grand Isle. So whenever you're going to Highway 1, you're heading down to Grand Isle, you leave Fouchon, you're heading down to Grand Isle, and you look on the left, you'll see a CCA sign, uh, and it says Floating Islands Project. Now, those don't look great right now uh, because that's what they were designed to do. They were designed to protect the road. And, um, and so those mats are kind of out there with native grasses growing, uh, but they're kind of broken apart a little bit, and it just does that over time. Uh, however, in uh, South Terrebonne Parish, we've done one that wasn't necessarily for protection, but more for marsh rebuilding, and it's thrived. I mean, it's grown past what it is. You can't even tell that it's a floating island at this point. Cool. It just looks like an island. So That's cool. pretty neat rebuilding the marsh, too. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the most of the people that, uh, I mean, you know, I imagine you have the active members and the inactive members, I guess, to put a label on them. Everybody mm -hmm. obviously supports what's happening and they pay donate or go to the fundraisers and things like that. What, um, do you have like, uh, some you know, programs or things that normal members do to participate in some of the, some of those projects and yeah. things? So we, you know, we always involve our members in everything that we do. So whenever we do a, uh, reef installation, uh, we'll invite people to come see the kind of like a ribbon cutting, but it's, mm. you know, in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico sometimes. <laughs> um, so, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's when, within the interior and the estuaries there. But uh, we'll invite members to come out and check it out and bring their boats and, and watch these rocks being dropped. Um, and then whenever we do the floating island projects, we always try to involve a school to teach the kids about what we're doing. Cool. And so they'll come out and they'll be the ones planting the grass, you know. Now, obviously, we do a good bit of it if they run out of steam, but um, <laughs> but we'll have whole schools come out on the school bus to the coast and plant these grasses in the mats, and then we'll take them out and plant them, and they'll get to see the whole process. So That's cool. Um, you know, if a member wants to get involved, they can get involved from – we have some members that just come to the banquet and support us through that. We have some that uh, support us through monthly giving and – and some support us through specific projects, um, and and some just are active in in the events that we do, and maybe aren't able to donate funds, but they'll donate their time or mm -hmm. resources or talents, anything else. What's um so what's coming up? Y'all have uh, planned projects for yeah. So this year we next year? we actually were supposed to be um, dropping a reef tomorrow. Oh really? Yeah. So it was um it was scheduled to drop tomorrow. Of course with the storm in the gulf right. or heading towards the gulf i guess it's in the gulf by now but um we canceled it we'll do it next week gotcha um but it's a it's a project so we've we've built uh 26 artificial reefs oh, wow. throughout the state and uh so this would have been number 27 and um we hope to be able to do it we've got we've so a little change and this probably is a little too technical but um I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> we pre-permitted uh, all these sites. So before, we'd say, okay, we want to build a reef here, and we have the materials. Um, let's go get the permit for it. Mm -hmm. Or we have the sponsor. Let's go get the permit for it. 
but what we've done now is pre-permit at 900 sites. Dang. And so when we get a construction company that says, hey, we've got this building that's destroyed or we've got these pylons that we don't need anymore. Hey, we've got this barge. And the one that's supposed to happen tomorrow, um, that'll happen next week, is a barge. That's not usable anymore. Hmm. Um, so we will take it out there and sink it uh, at the reef site. So we've already pre-permitted 900 sites. So whenever somebody calls us and says, hey, I got this I want to get rid of. <laughs> you can just do it. Now we can, okay, we just need to figure out how to move it there now. Right. Whenever you say, hey, we got a permit and it's going to take six to nine months. and Six to nine months. Whew. Yeah. So then they Majority go, pre-permitted well, we'll just get rid of it somewhere right. else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if we say, hey, we'll be there in three weeks, we'll, let's coordinate the transport and we'll be there in three weeks to get yeah, it. That's way better. Moved. They say, okay, we can handle so it. So anybody out there that has something large that they're going to scrap and instead of scrapping it, they can put it in the water. They can put it in the water. Well, not everything, but yeah, right, not everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they can conserve the coast. Yeah. They, we can build habitat. That's for fascinating. Fish. I had no idea. Yeah. I sort of, I saw you put, po- I saw you post, I think about the, uh, dro- uh, barge drop or the floating Island thing yeah. a few months back or something. And I just thinking back to that right now, I remember thinking, what on earth is that? Like, do they, I guess they yeah. have to pay to create this thing, but it's just like, scrap stuff that can be used which yep. is really cool speaking of scrap stuff so y'all are a non-profit right we are so if somebody donates a barge i mean is that, is that a tax deductible tax wow deductible? yeah or they donate their time moving the barge or they donate you know services, services. yeah all that is tax deductible that's yeah. good i mean i'm not a tax professional so <laughs> no tax that's advice not what that's podcast. what nolan doesn't know is tax <laughs> that's stuff a pretty cool but it is you can say hey we we can we can help you write that off by getting rid of it. Yeah. Right. We got a place for you to get rid of it. Yeah. So instead of paying to transport it and then pay it to paying to you know bring it to the dump, now we can say, well, help us transport and you can get a tax right off doing it. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Uh, so more specifically about what you're doing for CCA all yeah. the time, you um, run. Well, I'll say what I know, my limited knowledge, then you can expound. But you run all the fundraising events, from what I understand, top to bottom. You organize and right. execute all of them, which is wild. So you said 30 chapters in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that's 30 fundraisers a year. So I'll say. Or I should say banquets. Banquets. And because so there's a lot more than just fundraising. I it's mean, a lot more you than You get fundraising. cool stuff. Right. right. Yeah. Chapters do a lot more than fundraising. And banquets is chapters do conservation projects and chapters do uh, some membership and some outreach and some educational stuff within their chapter. Mm -hmm. And so my job is, uh, although fundraising is a big part of it, it's to make sure the chapters are healthy and they have leadership there and they have volunteers there and they're accomplishing the mission overall as CCA Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's my job. But yes, fundraising is a big part of it and throwing um, 30 chapter banquets a year um, <laughs> throughout the state during a pandemic when we can't get in person is mm-hmm. a little more difficult. But typical year, we throw 30 chapter events as well as a couple special events. Uh, we do a sporting clays event, which is Friday. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very cool. And so I'll be heading to Covey Rise, Covey Rise. Um, to go set up and do that event. But So we do some other um, chapter fundraising events as well as several chapter events, whether it's a you know, fun fishing tournament or an educational event or mm-hmm. a conservation project, river cleanup, whatever it is. Um, okay, so we can you can definitely give me the the less 
um, public friendly answers on a lot of this stuff because I want to ask. And like I mentioned before we started the podcast, we can edit out whatever secret sauce you have or whatever. Yeah. We don't need to let share with everyone. But I'm curious uh, to know what you're like at the beginning of the I guess it runs January 1 to December 31. Yeah. So at the beginning of the year when you're planning the year out on all the logistics and everything, walk me through a little bit of what you're looking at when you're looking at doing 30 on top of all the other stuff that you mentioned, but the 30 big time banquets that are big events in in themselves. Yeah. So, um, you know, with a nonprofit that's throwing one event, they dump all their resources into one event mm-hmm. and they can ask all their donors for a donation and, and, and do it all in one one event and make it a really nice event. CCA operates a little differently um, because we have 30 plus events. Mm-hmm. And so we try to work with partners to provide trips that's consistent throughout the whole state. And so when we offer a trip to Argentina or Africa or Costa Rica, we work with an outfitter that we can trust and we go. So, you know, a lot of times, Starting now, October, November, December, we're really working on kind of planning the next year and figuring out what's going to be different, what's going to be new, and how do we get those different outfitters, and how do we get these items donated, and how do we get sponsors for this stuff. Um, and then we also buy some stuff to to sell. So we work with out, with people that have good products that say, hey, you know, I'll give you the product as a discounted price mm-hmm. to where, you know, we can get 30 of them or 60 of them or whatever it is mm-hmm. at a discounted price that we can turn around and offer it to our members. And so, you know, this time of the year is, is really focused on like getting those things in order. And come December, January, we start really working with the volunteers on a chapter specific basis. Those chapters that are in March and April timeframe, we're working with the committees and talking with them and kind of getting out in the community and figuring out setting dates and mm-hmm. there's a lot of logistics that go into it. That's what I want, yeah, that's what I want to hear about. Yeah. And so it's, um, you know, planning a banquet is difficult. Taking a part of banquet and then replanning it is even more difficult. <laughs> so this year we did a lot of that, um, taking a part, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's a lot of moving parts that go with planning so, events. So what's the biggest uh, event each year? Or when do the events actually take place? Because it's not year-round, right? It's not year-round. So the banquets take place um, either March through June. Okay. Dang, so you, pack, you pack 30 events in March? No, it's probably 20 in okay. that time frame, maybe 18 in that time frame. And then we go August through October, we, oh, okay. we put the fall events. And so, yeah, I mean, some are just better work better in the community in the fall and some work better in the spring makes sense so and what's so, the what's the is baton rouge the biggest chapter i would assume baton rouge should be so there. so that's a touchy subject oh it's touchy um, subject okay yeah so we have some <laughs> chapters <laughs> not not to anybody other than our cca members okay. but uh <laughs> in those chapters but we have a handful of chapters that consistently produce uh very well have big crowds um have great donations raise money uh, very active. And so if I was to say one, it may be different than the next year, but, um, typically the Ascension banquet is right there. Um, they have had the largest event, uh, as far as members in the room Mm -hmm. and as well as the largest 
amount of dollars raised in one night. Nice. Um, Baton Rouge is kind of neck and neck with them on a typical year. Uh, Lake Charles is a big one. Um, so those are the three largest ones, but then you have a lot that are kind of right there behind them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shreveport's probably one of our most active and fairly large chapter, being the furthest from the coast. Right. Very active chapter. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned like big money nights. Can you say kind of what a good fundraiser is? Yeah. Is that- so, yeah. So it's a, a great night. At, I'll tell you the at Ascension chapter, and this is raised just that night. Um, some people will say, you know, they'll count membership gifts throughout the year, dollars raised throughout the year. But this is just that night. They um, the record year was uh, two hundred and thirty seven thousand dollars in one Dang. night in one room. Wow. And so. Pretty, they were pretty pumped about it, That's and so neat. were we. It's it's pretty neat to have you know, twelve hundred people in a room and um, that care about what we're doing. Yeah, and uh, are excited about it. And we offer some great trips and great things for them to buy too. Right. I always pride ourselves on when we when we kind of figure out how we're going to do a banquet. How do we make it fun for people who? may not even care about what we do <laughs> or maybe don't even fish. Yeah. You know, they just outdoorsmen or maybe not. Maybe they're wives of outdoorsmen or maybe they're guests, they're business partners with somebody who just wants to come and they get invited to come to an event and they go, yeah, it'd be fun. We want to make our events fun for a person who doesn't care about fishing at all, all the way up to the most hardcore fishermen mm-hmm. and have a little bit of everything there at the banquets forum. Well, I've never been to a CCA event. Shame um, on you. I know. Shame on me. How, how do y'all make those things fun? What do y'all do? I mean, are they raffles, auctions? Yeah. This so was, we, this was, I was actually going to jump in after, uh, if Carl didn't ask, I was going to jump in and say we should kind of establish what the what the night looks like for the for I mean, the I want to go to one right now. I've been to a couple of them, and they are pretty fun. <laughs> they are pretty yeah. fun. What's there yet? So, um on a typical year, <laughs> not count scratch twenty twenty this year. Yeah, <laughs> not, yeah. Twenty twenty has been quite um, the the change of pace for us. Um, <laughs> no kidding. But and we've adapted. Mm-hmm. And we've figured out ways to make it work. But we really like doing what we've been doing in nineteen and eighteen and all the way back to nineteen eighty three. Is we um, so you'll come as a guest with. You know, maybe it's a business partner, or maybe it's a fishing you friend, or maybe me. it's a neighbor. I'm a CCA member. I'm a join. Yeah, so you get to come to chapter, and you walk into the room, and um, and you get a cup on the way in, and you can choose from a plastic cup or a, a nice tumbler like this one, and you get some drinks in it, and you get a great meal. Um, there's raffles. We raffle everything. From, we're actually giving away a truck on Friday. Dang. Yeah, Ford F-150 King Ranch. Is this edition. part of a chapter or is this a statewide? This is statewide. Okay, I want to come back to the statewide stuff. So okay. we'll just tease so, it right here and then we'll come back to it. But how typically you can win we'll a truck. have that truck at the banquet. So you can right, buy a yeah. ticket. Or boats at, too, at right? Bank. Or a boat. Yeah, okay. We'll uh, get we to give this. away boats. We give away a lot of stuff. So we'll have raffles. We'll have guns there. We have things that are not just for fishermen because uh, we know that our members do other th- stuff as well. So maybe there's a nice bottle of wine. Um, maybe there's a gun. Uh, maybe art. there's some decoration, a piece of art. Maybe there's rod and reel. 
It was a little bit American everything. flag that flew over the nation's capital, which I almost, which I wanted to bid on last time, but it went up to like it would look good. It would look good in your something. office. It would look awesome. So uh, we have we work with a lot of uh, politicians who support what we're doing and recognize the the efforts that we put forth. So uh, Congressman Garrett Graves um, flew a capital flew a U.S. flag over the U.S. Capitol mm-hmm. um, and donated it to us, and we auctioned it off. And so you know That's we have legit. A little bit of everything there. Yeah. And so we have raffles. We have a silent auction, um, which is pretty cool. We do an online system where you can bid on your phone. Uh, you get a text message when you get out bid. Um, <laughs> bid again. <laughs> yeah. And so it's it's a, it's a pretty fun kind of It's lots of atmosphere. It's, yeah, it's lots of but stuff. But the biggest thing is you get other like-minded people in the room together. And so you get to hang out with people you know or meet people you don't necessarily know but have a common interest. And so... You know, some of these rooms um, are small, and they'll have 150 to 200 people in them. And some of them are big, where they have 12 to 1,500 people in the room. Um, this is pre-COVID-19, right, course, by the way. Yes. We don't have any 1,500 people rooms now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so you'll get a chance to visit with people. You'll get a, van- a chance to see um, raffles, uh, bid on silent auction, um, see some of the work that we do. We'll have some displays that show the work that we do uh, and then we'll have dinner and then we'll have a live auction and live auction is pretty fun mm, it's lots uh, of fun it gets entertaining sometimes um are you were you there when uh our auctioneer passed out no oh okay was that last year that was uh, i was there last year that was 2015 okay i was there the last two actually i think i was there in 2016 because that was the night it the flooded flood, yeah i was there and then i think i wasn't there 17 i think i was there the last two years. maybe it was 17 then maybe it was a year after the flood but he passed out on stage that's nuts we had to put a chair underneath him and catch him and ems <laughs> came in it was exciting he's fine he's still auctioneering for us <laughs> virtually <laughs> virtual auctioneer. he's done virtual auctioneers really? virtual auctions yeah um so so then we'll do a live auction a live auction will consist of Anything from a rod and reel and a fishing trip to a hunting trip or a trip to Africa or a vacation to Panama or a, you know, flag that flew over the capital mm-hmm. or a um, yacht uh, tour or, thing. Uh, yeah. There's one where you could like where you spend a week on a yacht, a private yacht. Um, yeah, it's pretty epic. So some of these are, are trips that we work with outfitters and some of them are trips that are locally donated. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, they, I, and also I'd like to interject this and I don't know if you, I don't. This may not be something you would say as a CCA worker, but I'll say it because I'm not. I don't work for CCA, but the auctions that I've been, I haven't bid on anything in live auction yet. Still saving some of my cash. Um, but another benefit of being a member and being at the auction is I've seen like some three thousand, four thousand dollar trips. You actually get for less than what the actual price is at these auctions. So I think there was there was one hunt. Um, Obviously, not that you necessarily... It's always better to give more money to CCA, but if you can get it for a little cheaper, that's always good, too. But I, saw, I think the last time I was there, there was a hunt that was like four or 5000 that they it bid up not to four or 5000 and, yeah. and they, they won the item. So, yeah. It was, we, Which is even... Whenever we exciting. start an auction at a price, that's what we're going to sell it for if we get a bid. Yeah. And so, you know, we work with these outfitters to say, this is this is what I want to sell it for. And say, okay, we're going to sell it. And, and they're happy. happy. Everybody's, Everybody's happy. happy. They got a deal on it. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes they uh, support CCA a little right, bit extra, exactly. and that's okay, exactly. too. Exactly. Um, so we got some some deal seekers, which are good, too. Um, One yeah. guy uh, won a puppy. 
in yeah. the auction too. And we've auctioned off. We auctioned off a goat in Monroe. A goat. A Who goat. Would Is that goat? legal? All right. I don't know. We'll check it. <laughs> check that. I mean, I thought <laughs> you know, Farm Bureau. Shout out. In Monroe, it's legal. <laughs> <laughs> they get away with that. In North no, North so w- one of our members has uh, raises these miniature goats. Oh, a miniature goat. A okay. miniature goat. That makes sense. And now. so we, he said, we're going to donate one. He bought that for his child no. or his wife. So or we, she bought that. We brought it up on stage and we auctioned off a miniature live goat. miniature goat. Wow. And uh, I think it went for like 650 bucks. Nice. And, um, and the, guy, <laughs> the guy that bought it was making a donation to CCA 100%. Uh, gave the goat away before, you know, before the end of the night. Gave it to some kid who wanted it. Oh, so, that's cool. <laughs> um, you know, those type of things are kind of unique to each chapter. You'll see different things in each chapter. Um, a goat. <laughs> like a goat or a puppy or a, a local cooking event where the committee volunteers will come out and cook at your house. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of just different stuff a cigar, like that. Cigar and whiskey night, I think, was yeah, one yeah. of the things. Yeah. So we'll have we'll auction off. But, you know, we've, we've auctioned off a lot of stuff at CCA. And pretty much anything that people will donate to us, we'll say, is it quality does somebody want it yeah if it if so we'll auction it off the only thing that we've really said now we're not going to auction that off it happened in new iberia we had a um a guy come to us he was he was he wanted to auction off his child no 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 he <laughs> no, I'm, um, joking. I'm joking no no kids no kids were auctioned <laughs> off and uh but he wanted to auction he was a, he worked at a cemetery he owned okay so he was going to donate a cremation Okay, interesting. Um, but most of our trips expire within a year, so we said, no, nah, that's a bad idea. <laughs> auction a cremation that expires. No, no, true story. He wanted to auction off a cremation, and the and and they were going to take your ashes to burial at sea. They were going to, mm. you know, donate. The volunteers were going to say, look, we'll load up on a boat and take your ashes <laughs> out to sea. And bur-. So they were going to auction off a burial at sea. We nipped that in the bud pretty well. But we have sold a toilet before. A toilet. Yeah. Uh, we've sold just about everything. Goats, wow. toilets, um, awesome trips. Yes, awesome trips. <laughs> in in, in conjunction with that. But um, <laughs> no, we have quality items, but uh, it's, sometimes it's fun to have those unique local yeah, items. Yeah, for sure. What's, what's probably your, the best trip you'll ever auctioned off? So, oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, oh, that's a tough one. Because we, we, we do some hunts. Uh, we do some awesome fishing trips. Um, we do some awesome vacation packages where, you know, families can go or couples can go and do it. So it, that's a tough call. Well, I guess maybe better question would be what's probably what trip has gone for the most? Is there is there an answer for that? Yeah. What's the highest single ticket? So um, we auction off a, um, a, a the yacht, the yacht uh, trip, the yacht in Bahamas. Yeah. So it's a it's. Four people, I mean, four couples, eight people can go to the Bahamas for a week and stay on a yacht. That's pretty epic. Um, and so, it, you know, that's probably the one that's that's been the most. Like tracking. how much? Like how much? Like ten thousand, fifteen thousand, fifty thousand. We're gonna cut it at that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's uh. You know, it, it varies. It, um, it was a nice donation. It's it a was nice a great donation. Um, <laughs> but we have some great trips. The Panama trip is awesome. The Costa Rica trip is awesome. The Cabo trip is awesome. You can go to Cabo and 
six people go fishing for two days, go spend four That's nights cool. in Cabo. I mean, it's an awesome trip. The Africa trip is awesome. The L&L trip in texas it's lnl outfitters mm-hmm. um and wimberley texas that's an awesome hunt um do you have any hellahogan trips we used to we sold a few hellahogan trips those are kind of hit and miss um okay. we had a guy that was providing them to us for a while and then got out of it so we don't we don't offer it i, I want to go hellahogan so bad have you been hellahogan before i have not um have you been hellahogan girl no we got to do that. We should go. We should do that. We should I mean, figure that out. Um, so, to, all right. So, I was asking you a little bit about like planning out and things. Yeah. Can we take the Ascension uh, banquet since uh-huh. it's the biggest? Let's tackle the biggest one. Uh, go through like what you kind of describe what happens in the night. So, I got some clues from that. But yeah, how do you set up the catering? How do you set up the venue? How do you set up the equipment that you need? How do you get the donations in time? How, how do you know that you have enough donations? Like, go through some of the planning that you have to do for those logistical things. So an event like that takes about six months of planning. Wow. And we'll work with a group of volunteers, and we'll start meeting with them several months before, but we'll start lining up the location first. We'll get the location nailed down, sign the contract, send the deposit. Um, and then from there, if it's a... You know, if it's a location that we've used regularly, it's pretty easy to do. Mm-hmm. When you got to go search for a new facility, you got to go look at it. You got to say, okay, that's not laid out right. We can't do that. Yeah. We can't do this. Those aren't quite as fun to vet as the hunting trips, I guess. No, no, not <laughs> not quite. Um, but we got to go look at the facility a lot of times. If it's a new facility, we got to go look at it and mm-hmm. go, okay, where am I going to put the stage? Where am I going to lay the, the room out to make it? work mm-hmm. um to when you walk in it's not you know cluster at the front door and um people can't find their tables and the stage is in a weird place and people can't see the screens mm-hmm. so we gotta look at that um so what are you to pause for a sec what are you how are you setting up these rooms for optimal whatever you're going for like what are some of the things because i i noticed again i've only been to the one event a couple times but you walk in the door, there's a sign-in table, obviously, at the front. Right. And you get your cup thing at the front. All the tables are in the middle. But then all the like the, the prizes and stuff are around the outside. Like, what are you, are you thinking through of where to put things? And, Absolutely. Okay. I think through where every table goes. Really? And so, and I'll probably move it three or four times before you get there. Um, but when you walk in the room, I want it to flow. I want people to be able to get in quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't like to wait in line. No, and don't. so we want to get them in quickly. Um, get them a cup, and then they're going to walk past the silent auction and the raffles to where they can see them, and they can see what's going on to get to the bar. Because mm. most of the time, people are going, they're, they're going to head to the bar <laughs> fairly early. Whether they're, you know, whatever they're drinking, mm-hmm. they're still going to get something to drink and hold in their hand and fill their cup up. And Is this an open bar? This is an open bar, yeah. Every CCA event is an open bar. I think you just got three or four members right there. That's right. <laughs> you just got Carl for sure. Yeah. So so you get uh, so most people. So as you walk, so when I design a room, when I'm laying out a room, design it to where people are going to walk through and see the stuff that we have. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want them to pass by and and bypass stuff and not know that we have this cool item for raffle or this uh, awesome silent auction item. We want them to walk past and at least glance at it. Um, and so they get to the bar and they have a drink and then they may go find their table. Um, and then from their table, they're going to go back and 
socialize. Some. Are the are the tables all assigned seatings based on tickets? Yes. Okay. And so we'll have a few open tables, but I'll, I'll give you this um, hint. Mm-hmm. If you buy a table, you're more likely to be in the front of the room. Okay. Whereas if you just walk in and sit at an open table, those are going to be in the back corners. So that's going to be the worst <laughs> view. So Got it. if you want a good view of what's going on, um, <laughs> go ahead and buy a, buy a whole table and sit uh, with your friends. Invite some customers or clients uh, with you. I'm again, I'm, I'm really ignorant to this. So is that is the invitation to the banquet included with your membership or is that you buy tickets to the event and that's so the other way around whenever you buy a ticket to the event it includes your membership okay and so you know obviously you'll get communication if you decide to join cca you'll get communication about what's happening you'll get invites but um but whenever you attend a banquet it's included as a one-year membership and so you'll get to go, and typically if you come to the banquet every year, you'll renew your membership. Otherwise, you'll get an email saying, gotcha. you know, so renew. I, I didn't know if, like, so then buying a ticket is an extra sponsorship level, or buying a table, I mean. Right. Well, it's really not. So if you buy a ticket, typically the tickets range 65 to $85 a ticket, and that's going to be um, your food, your your drinks, um, the banquet attendance, as well as your $35 membership. So it's a good kind of cover and usually get a break too, you right? usually get a break if you buy a table so sometimes you'll uh, say you know tickets are 65 but if you buy a table of you know 10 is 600 and so you get a little break if you buy a table of and sometimes but each chapter is a little different and so you know depends on where you're at uh, but yeah so you'll so the layout of the room mm-hmm. we, we try to get people as close to the kind of stage mm-hmm. Um, that they can get. Mm-hmm. Um, some rooms we have plenty of space. Some rooms were packed in, like mm-hmm. the ones you go to yeah, um, in Central. It's packed. I mean, we can't fit another table in there, mm-hmm. so we sell out and we pack all those people in there <laughs> pre-COVID, loud, pre-COVID, pre-COVID. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a good time. And people people are close and get to visit with each other as well as mm-hmm. uh, see the auction. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the live auction stuff will be set up at the front of the room. The food will kind of be, we know that everybody's going to find the food, so we don't have to put that in a prominent spot. Everybody (laughs) will find the bar. Um, and then, you know, from there we kind of design the room around that. So when we go look at the facility, we kind of design all all the stuff. Yeah. What, what stuff are you, um, having to prep for? Cause I know you get like a handout with all the auction items and everything on it and, uh, for the, like the tables uh-huh. papers or whatever yep what kind of stuff do you have to prepare like that and the the online bidding stuff what all the things do you have to set up beforehand so you know we took a big jump there from six to four months out to really the week okay, back me up then yeah back me up so me. so from four months out we start really working on getting people there mm. and so we'll go out in the community and talk to people and ask them to buy tables and ask them to support ask them to donate so we're also auctioning asking for auction items as well as attendance to the banquet and so for the that time that's really what we're doing is gathering people and gathering stuff and then um and then from there about two weeks out we start organizing it all and of course you know we're organizing as we go but two weeks out we look at it and go okay here's what we have Mm -hmm. we have x amount of people we have x amount of stuff 
where does it go? Is that a silent auction item? Is that a raffle item? Is that a live auction item? Is that a door prize? You know, kind of put things in the right places. Um, and so we'll get it out. We'll kind of figure that out in the last two weeks. And then uh, we publish a program for each seat. So when you get there, there'll be a program there that explains all the live auction and uh, thanks all our sponsors and um, if it's a major sponsor they'll have a logo on the front cover uh, they'll have a banner on the stage um, get plenty of mentions throughout the night mm -hmm. if it's somebody who bought a table they'll have recognition as well and so recognize all our sponsors and donors uh, in that program on the table and so yeah a lot of a lot of organized organization goes into mm -hmm. getting there and then the setup and the day of, what are you doing? Um, so typically I show up in shorts and tennis <laughs> shoes and a shirt because I know I'm going to sweat. Mm -hmm. um, and so it depends on where it's at. Sometimes we leave the night before and get there. But typically I'll show up at the office and I'll load the trailer uh, with all the stuff that we have at the office that we're bringing, all the donations we collected from national sponsors or statewide sponsors, um, sound system, uh, we're bringing all of that with us. Mm. And uh, so we load a trailer up. Uh, we get on the road. We drive to the facility. We start setting up. We unload, kind of get the tables where they need to be, and then start unloading the stuff. Uh, set it up. It goes from a blank room to a you know, pretty good-looking banquet. Um, you walk in, and you go, this looks good. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want people to see is they want, we want them to see cool stuff and um, and what we do, banners and whatnot things that we're doing we want to see them when they walk in so basically decorate the room with our stuff mm -hmm. and uh it, probably the the central banquet the co-meet banquet that you attend mm -hmm. is the room that we have to convert the most <laughs> so that's a gym that gym's um, pretty old <laughs> it's a old school that closed down that they took the gym and made a basketball camp out of it and then now it's a cheer camp and a gymnastics camp. Right. And so when we get there, I mean, there's mats on the floor. There's stuff all over. We basically move all that, move it out of the room, into the closets and whatnot. And then we build our banquet mm -hmm. from there. And um, and then we convert it back at the end of the night. It's, uh, it's a pretty impressive, like, change yeah. of what it looks like from a gym, a kid's gym, youth center <laughs> to... Uh, a CCA banquet and then back to a gym. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you have, uh, I know some of the things you set up are like special uh, guests or things like that. Like I know Garrett Graves was at the one that we, that I went to. Um, is there any sort of, uh, if you have the auction and everything at the end, and I know you get up there and say a couple things. Do you have specific people like politicians and things come in that you want to try to connect with people or so it, it just depends on the night i mean sometimes we'll have so it just depends on where you're at and, and what who the yeah, people are i guess yeah. so um congressman <laughs> graves attends a lot of the cca events and um and it recognizes the great work that we do we recognize the great work that he does as well mm -hmm. um but we have a lot of friends kind of throughout the state and sometimes it's um the mayor and sometimes it's the governor um but we've had several different uh kind of politicians as well as you know uh guests and 
pillars in the community attend our events and and enjoy them mm-hmm. and um and so yeah it d- just depends on where it is on yeah, who's yeah, going to yeah. show up i mean we we had an event uh, a few weeks ago and we had speaker at the house there and several uh cool you know folks elected officials that were there cool so um so speaking of people one of the things that i definitely want to talk to you about is people and interacting with them and talking with them because one of the things that i know that you're good at um is doing that and like obviously with your job you're coordinating people and making sure people are happy with this and all that sort of thing but then also in our other business that we've worked together on there's a lot of well i'll just throw out a couple terms like salesman-y type thing schmoozing people you know that sort of thing not that just to throw out the the negative connotation so people know what i'm talking about but there's that whole thing but then also just like connecting and conversing with people um so I, I, I'm getting to a question, I think, on this, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but for instance, like when we went to South Africa together for a week or 10 days or whatever it was, um, it, you're, it's easy for you to meet someone new and then just talk with them about, which I mentioned is the reason I started the podcast, trying to get better at, at that sort of thing. Uh, so hopefully this is sort of resonating with you a little bit. Is that just natural for you? What do you, uh, do you just, I don't know. How do you, what is your, what are your, what is your, like, I think I'm going to get to a question on this, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, my wife right now is listening and she's like, Chase, just ask a question. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) But I guess whenever you meet somebody new at a banquet that you've never met before and they're either a member or interested in CCA, what do you talk to them about? I will tell you right after I'll take a pee break. Okay. Can I do that? Of Is course. that possible? Of course. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't include me editing. That just includes me pausing and starting. <laughs> All right, so we just we just took a little break uh, because this water is just going right through us. Right. And, and we had ping pong. And we had to take a ping pong break. Yeah, yeah. so we just took a ping pong break because it was just tempting Nolan. Like, he couldn't stand it. He's yeah, trying I'm to get a, a table at the CCA office and had to, I mean, had, had to vet the ping pong. I'm looking at a ping sure. pong table. Right. You know, right? Exactly. I mean, how's it? How do you get any work done? We get lots of work done around here. That's what Nolan doesn't know is how you get work done <laughs> when you got a ping pong table right there. Right. So we actually is mainly for clients. We don't actually play it now. Oh, okay. just kidding. That would be a good sponsorship for me. Sponsor a ping pong table for your office. Yeah, we'll put your face on one side. That'd be incredible. Yeah. My face on the ping pong table. Okay, so I want to shift gears a little bit. From because we talked about bank, banquet logistics, yeah. but the biggest part of banquet and of course of a nonprofit that's trying to do work for the state and the community is people. Wow, that was an inspirational statement. You can you can use that if you want. Just kidding. Um, but one thing I know about you is that you're good at talking with people, interacting with people, coordinating people, that sort of thing. And also, for instance, when we went to South Africa for a week or whatever um it was easy for you one thing i observed was that it was very easy for you to interact with people that you know but then also people that you are just meeting um and not just like in the business context but then also like our uh, the guy that we met that we hunted on his property our guide mm-hmm. um it was easy for you to kind of interact and i guess the small talk thing is one thing that i know that i 
I'm not great at, but you're very good at. Um, so I kind of want to shift a little bit into that. And a, a question that I tried to ask you a few moments ago that no one listening <laughs> will hear because I have now edited that out because it was absolutely reprehensible. Um, but whenever you meet someone new, whether business context or not, um, and you have to either coordinate something with them or you are trying to interest them in CCA or sell them something or just meeting somebody, what is your, what is kind of your approach to that whenever you're conversing with somebody? Yeah. So, and, and I think I said this earlier that I didn't say just now, forgive me for cutting you off. Uh, I mentioned earlier, maybe it comes naturally to you. So I don't mean to set up that question. Like what's your strategy to talking to people? Um, but I want to see if maybe, if maybe you've observed that about yourself and if you, so, so, Everything, I, I think, in life, uh, whether you're in the nonprofit world or whether you're in the sales world or whether you're in friend-making world, whatever it is, I think it's all about relationships and just connecting with people. And, and some people are really good at that and some people aren't necessarily as good um, but can work on it and get better because it's it's about learning about who they are and, and finding common interests and finding out what they're interested in and talking about. People like to talk about themselves. Um and so I find it interesting to talk about other people and you do too. Cause you're, you've got a podcast that talks mm -hmm. about other people. Mm -hmm. Um, you could have a podcast that talks about yourself and probably, oh, brutal. yeah, your wife would might listen Tori might listen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but probably <laughs> not, <laughs> probably not. Um, but when you talk about other people, it's, that's what it's all about. And that's what everything, you know, circles around is building a relationship with other people and, and talking to them about things that interest them, sometimes you find a common interest in that. Sometimes it's just finding out what they like and learning from that. And and, and so, you know, <laughs> kind of circling back, my answer is about as bad as your question probably. <laughs> but um, but it's all about relationships and and getting to know people. And so, you know, with CCA, um, we, we deal with a wide range of people, and sometimes it's farmers and sometimes it's fishermen and sometimes it's bank presidents and sometimes it's businessmen and sometimes it's politicians and um, deal with a range broad range of folks who enjoy what we do or, or maybe want to know about more than we do so we have to kind of approach them and talk to them and just build a relationship with those people mm -hmm. and um, that's with everything I mean that's with what you do with sales and uh, marketing and uh, just dealing with folks and what you do on the podcast is just getting to know people and talking to them. And so, you know, I, so whenever you're talking with somebody and it's, you know, in the air quotes, it's in the small talk arena. Do you have that internal awkward feeling the whole time you're talking to someone? No. Okay. So that's people? what, it, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> oh, I, then I, guess I do natural. a lot. I do a lot. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to figure out. No, guess, like, uh, I'm kidding. Uh, yes, sometimes it okay. is awkward, especially yeah, yeah. with somebody who you may feel intimidated by or somebody that you may, you know, not have a lot in common with, and you're trying to find that common interest. But, you know, the thing that I do is I want to know about these people. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not a, you know, I don't necessarily want to just talk about myself. I want to know about what, what they're doing and what their interests are. And I find it interesting. I find people interesting, and I, I enjoy learning about them even if it's not my interest and so yeah small talk and and that sort of thing if 
if it's about you or you're trying to like get a point across, it's one thing. But if you're just trying to learn, it's not, you know, you're just talking to them about what they like and, and who they are. It's uh, it comes a lot easier. Um, but it's easier when you're not intimidated by somebody or, yeah. or, or not, you know, don't have zero in common with them. Usually <laughs> you can find something fairly quickly in common with people. And that's kind of where you go with the conversation. Okay. So when you're, when you're building all these relationships with, I guess we'll keep it in the context of CCA. Um, you're talking to all of these, I guess let's, I, I was going one way, but thinking like you're talking to all of these outfitters who you're, you know, you're asking to, for them to discount their things or them to, uh, donate their things for your organization. Uh, what's your approach to a conversation like that? Um, so typically I, I make sure the trip is going to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they contact us and sometimes we answer them and say, yes, we'll do trips and talk to them about it. Sometimes we say, you know, maybe that's not a trip for our members that our members would be interested in. And that's okay too. But so sometimes they reach out to us. Sometimes we reach out to them. Um, but yeah, it's just a, a matter of chatting with them and making sure that this is a, this is a good trip. And so I want to know more about the lodge and I want to know some experience and I may call some people that have been there and, um, you know, so I just kind of get to know them. And sometimes that's, uh, in person and sometimes it's not, um, you know, our, our guy that coos who you've been hunting with in Africa, mm-hmm. with me, that's who we sell trips for through CCA. Um, and it's a great outfitter, but th- before we started selling trips for him, he came to Baton Rouge and, um, sat down with us and told us what he wanted to do and told us he wanted to donate some trips to CCA and showed us pictures of his lodge and uh, gave us folks that have been there before that if we wanted to call them. And it was a great relationship building. You know, we built a relationship with him, and now we provide trips for him. Uh, we send a lot of folks to him. And so, you know, all that has to do with just building a relationship mm-hmm. with those that you're doing business with and those friends that you have and all that stuff. So what's, um, if you, if you have something and I'm just like poking at the relationship thing a little bit, uh, as we're talking through it, cause, uh, seems like there is uh, a lot of, or for you, for you to have the side effect, I guess, or the product of making it easy to talk with people. It, it it's like you just describe. You have to actually be interested in, in building the relationship. Um, so, do you have any any thoughts on maybe a relationship that you didn't think was good, or that, uh, or maybe a new relationship that you wanted that wasn't so organic, but you kind of had to pursue or make better? Um, do you have any thoughts on on how you do that? So, um, you know, sometimes we really want something uh, from somebody that can provide something to CCA, and, and sometimes it's vice versa. Sometimes CCA can provide something that um, that that people want from us, and um, you know, I can't I can't talk about one specifically, okay, but I can say in general, you know, um, we'll, we'll go and talk to people who have no idea what CCA is. Um, but they have a product that our members want, or they have a service that our members would want, or, or, you know, we believe that they're something that they can provide can help further the mission of CCA. Um, and, and usually we try to try to figure out somebody who who has either 
knows them or has something in common with them that can that can help us open that door. Um, because ultimately, we want everything that we do to be mutually beneficial to to you, to an outfitter, to a donor. We want to provide something that we say, you know, you you may be donating X amount of dollars. Um, but we're providing something for that, you know, mm-hmm. and whether that's going to benefit you personally uh, or benefit the coast as a whole, you know, Louisiana as a whole, uh, fishing heritage as a whole, we're going to provide something back to you. Um, it's a lot of nonprofits that just ask for money and just ask for money and, mm-hmm. and, and they may have a goal and uh, maybe they reach it, maybe they don't. We like to provide something. And, um, and so an outfitter that, or, or a manufacturer or somebody that has a product that is beneficial to CCA, we want to say, look, we can benefit you back in some way or the other. Um, you know, not necessarily, maybe it's not financially, but maybe it's for the whole of the, of the mission. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that matters to you. You, you care about what we're doing as a whole. And so your donation is, uh, beneficial to you because we're preserving what you love Mm -hmm. and um and so yeah sometimes it's uh kind of circling back around sometimes it's an easy uh, ask and sometimes it's a it's a very difficult relationship to build and um but if you keep in mind that everything we do is is mutually beneficial then we can we can find some common so it's just you just gotta explore to you yeah and then if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, I guess. That's right. Right. Um, I, want, I want to try something. Uh, there's a situation that we were both in. Not a situation. Something we were in. A, we were at. Well, I'll describe in a second. But I want to try something and describe what we were in and then see if. Because uh, it sticks out in my mind. Uh-huh. And almost almost is like a, a legendary story that might be hyperbolic hyperbolizing it a little bit uh but i've shared it with like a couple other people of what happened You're but i want to be a little nervous chase right, right. but i want to see <laughs> but i want to see if it sticks out in your mind the same okay. way uh because i know i'm ter- this, uh, this is why i started the podcast i'm trying to articulate my thoughts better it's why you know so bear with me everyone listening but I want to see if it sticks out in your mind because it relates to this whole thing of I think that you're good at conversing with people. Right. You might think that might not stand out in your mind as much, I guess. Um, so let me see if, if, if this happens. So we went to a knife show in Portland. And uh, after one of the knife show days, I don't remember what day it was, um, Conor McGregor was fighting Khabib mm-hmm. the first time. Actually, they've only yeah they've only done it once. I can't keep it anymore. So uh, we wanted to watch the fight. So after we tried to find a bar or a restaurant or somewhere that would be a good place to go watch it. Uh, and you remember all of this, of course. Right. Um, we were so riding we, around on scooters, by the way. That's right. We we're riding okay. around, riding around. On the you can't scooters. leave that that's that right. detail out. That was an epic, uh, epic detail of that story. Those scooters were pretty awesome. In yeah. pouring rain at one point too. I think that was the rain. night before. In but. pouring rain, and I'll tell you before you get onto this. That sticks out in my mind because you're willing to go for it. Okay, right. And on. you're like, you're like scooters. Yeah, I already downloaded the app and <laughs> did it, and I figured out how to do it, and I'm going. Why aren't you going already, Nolan? <laughs> I'm a little slow to that, and you're like, let's go. 
And it was pretty you're, awesome. You were riding scooters before I even downloaded the app. That's true. So you are pretty slow. I'll give you a... Uh, you're getting a bit older than me, too, so you're kind of yeah, like... I mean, no, I'm just joking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, that's interesting, because that, that wouldn't have... But the scooters obviously sticks on my mind. But All right, so this night, we're looking for a place. We find this, I don't know, recommendation from somebody. I don't remember. Actually, I think we went to one bar, and then we they to... were like, we're packed. Go to this other place. Yeah. And so we got in the car. That and place was place. closed, and we went to another place. Okay, right. Yeah. Yes. So I think it was the third place. We I think tried. so. Um, so we get in there, and it's, it's it looks perfect. Like there's good amount of, good amount of people. Every TV is massive, and it has the fight on or the prep for the fight, the pre fights yeah. or whatever. Um, so we go around, and we're trying to find a place to sit or whatever. Everything is taken. There's no availability. Um, and if you there's a couple open tables, but we witness some other people trying to sit down at these tables, uh-huh. uh, and they promptly get kicked off because they're reserved for VIPs or whatever. So we're like, what are we going to do? Are we going to stay here, stand in the corner and watch the fight? Because we wanted it, you know, we've been working at the show all day. We wanted to eat some food and, and hang out and watch the fight. So this is the thing that sticks out in my mind of this epic night. Um, so we're standing uh, kind of in the back, it's not in the back corner, but it's up against the wall in one area and kind of waiting around. We had just got kicked off of a table, actually, because <laughs> we got we sat down at a table after I think it was after I think after the bouncer said, hey, I got you guys this table. So he sat us down at the table. But then a waitress came by and was like, this is for some it was like for a pro soccer player, pro or soccer player. Yeah, right. So they, yeah. they kicked us off of that table. So we're again standing and waiting. Um, but. While I'm just standing there, like, you know, just wondering what we're going to do, watching the TV or whatever, you walk back over, having just talking to the owner of the bar somehow, this is what I'm asking about, talking to the owner of the bar, making small talk with him about, like, what's happening, and and basically, like, so that's, the, that's the thing that sticks out in my mind, is, number one, how did you find the owner of the bar? And there's, like, probably 150 people in this packed place. And then, like, what made you talk to him, For second of all, which maybe references back to that not being intimidated by people or something. And then also, like, making him laugh and, like, interacting with him, which that didn't directly correlate to us getting a special table that night. We had to do something else to get that special table. We did. But that part, that, like, sticks out into my mind of... Nolan's really good at like building new relationships with people that he's never met and important people at that. So that does not stick out in my mind nearly as much as the scooter ride, (laughs) which is funny because that's your strength. And that's, yeah. Oh, and I don't say that's my strength, but no, I think that part of that was luck. Uh, We were standing in the corner and, and as you say that, like I'm remembering the situation more and more. And one of the things that I remember about it, we did have to, um, you know, get in with a little bribe. Mm-hmm. I guess you can call it no, that. Relationship building. It was about relationships. It was a common interest <laughs> yes. that we found with the bouncer mm-hmm. who said, look, why don't y'all go sit here at this table? If the guy comes, then we'll, you know, it's a pro soccer. We don't know if he's going to show or not. But if he does, then y'all can move. Um, but y'all can sit there until he gets here, if he gets here. If he mm-hmm. doesn't, it's your table. And so we may have had something to do with um, – Finding a common interest there. Um, but then we're standing in the corner. I do remember this. Yeah. We're standing by the popcorn maker. Right. And um, Dejected. 
I was yeah. like, dang, this night did not work We're out. Standing like I in the corner, <laughs> but it's by this um, entrance to the kitchen, I guess. That's where it was. So a lot of the people were like walking back and forth. And right across there, there was a little two-top table or something with uh, some guys talking about, I don't know, I don't even remember what they were talking about. But I picked up on it that it was the owner. And so we just, I just went and talked to him. Right. So like, yeah. why? <laughs> what no made you just, just no big deal? Just went and talked yeah. to him? I mean, we're, we're coming here from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, mm-hmm. and we're up here for this knife show. And, and I don't even know that. That's probably not what we talked about. I don't remember what we talked about. Mm-hmm. But I do remember recognizing that that was the owner and introduced myself. And and he said, hey, I got this table. Y'all can go at it right here. So, so Oh, so that was a connection to the table that we ended up getting. That was the connection oh, to the Oh, okay, table. interesting. So the first connection was, was confused. Um, with, and I'll shout out knifeshipfree.com. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> is that sponsored material? Oh uh, yeah, don't don't say his Jay, should, Jay has to pay me for that. <laughs> Jay should totally pay you for that. Um Jay is uh you know, we were talking to the bouncer, we're like waiting in line saying, Is there a table? No, there's not a table. And the guy ended up asking us why we were there and we told him a knife, knife show. show and he said, Oh, okay, I love knives. And Jay said, Well, really, what kind of so he's they started talking and this this was not me, this was completely Jay. Um and he said, I'll send you one. Yeah, one of his favorite knives. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy, the guy had, I think the guy had gone to the knife show trying to get a knife and didn't get it. Yeah, but Jay owns. You can say it. Okay, knivesshipfree dot com. So that's twice mentioned. So he's going to wow. pay you double for that's that. Double fee. Yeah. Uh, and so he told the guy basically. In short, he told the guy, "Hey, we're looking for a place to watch the fight. If you can hook us up." I will send you that knife that you wanted. Yeah. So, and assuming that he followed through, which I'm sure he did. Jay, he did. Great. No, guy. I talked to him. Oh, you did? He, yeah. Fantastic. I talked to him after the fact. And he said, yeah, send it to I, I was thinking that we got that table because of that, but actually it is. That's where we got the pro the soccer table. player. We got kicked off of. Yeah. <laughs> we got kicked off of that, which we knew we were going to get kicked off, yeah. but it was good for a little while. Yeah. And then. The um, best part was walking over to it and everyone watching us and then us sitting down at the table all the other people that were standing there waiting for a table (laughs) yeah and this little sign on the table handwritten that said reserve and we walk over and sit down we yeah we were big shots for about seven minutes yeah (laughs) yeah. exactly and then we got kicked off and we looked really dumb walking (laughs) back past those same people um but we ended up in the corner by the popcorn machine talking to the owner of the bar. And, and I actually, I don't know if you remember this. I actually remember what you said to him. Or oh, what, what you told me you said to him. Oh, gosh. Apparently, and you know, the human memory, from what I've learned, is bad. So this might not be accurate. But apparently he was at this table and had the remote in his hand. And then you walked over to him. And the fight was on every single TV. It wasn't the Connor fight yet, but it was the early fight. And and what you said, you told him, you walked over and said, how mad would everyone be if you changed the channel right now? I did say that. Yeah. <laughs> that was the the way that we kind of made a little connection here. Yeah. yeah. I don't I mean, that's, I guess, so all encompassing, I've done, this is the, I think this is the 20th episode of the Chase Doesn't Know podcast. We're probably an hour and a half in already on this podcast. We just found the magic. The entire reason that we have started, that I've started the podcast and, to get better at talking with people and finding common ground. So where did you, how did you come up with that line on the spot in the middle of 150 people? You know, I find that humor is, is good, you know, mm-hmm. and so... If I was to walk up to that guy and 
you know, ask him for a table, he'd probably, right. He would definitely say no. <laughs> um, so, you know, look, I didn't know if it was going to go to anything, but I did think it was funny. And so you know, sometimes I come up with things in my mind that I think are going to be funny and that, you know, sometimes they're not, <laughs> but sometimes they are. And sometimes that builds a relationship with people, um, or, or a connection with people. There was no relationship. I mean, he didn't remember me and I don't even know his name, mm-hmm. but it was something that connected us together. And he said, eh, that's, that's funny. And I talked after that, we talked a little bit past that. It, it wasn't like I just cut a funny <laughs> joke liner. and hey, one liner and he said, Hey, here's the table. You're so funny. Uh, no, it was, uh, you know, it's just the, that kind of opening to something we had in common, which was humor, mm-hmm. um, which maybe we had nothing else in common. Uh, I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He lives in Portland, Oregon and owns a bar and I work for a nonprofit. I mean, <laughs> we, I mean we really have nothing in common, yeah. but maybe it's a sense of humor or maybe it's, um, you know, a joy of something that we do for recreation that's outside of work that can make a connection. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I'd say you never know what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And um, so why not try it, I guess? Yeah, why not try it? And, you know, the guy could have said, you're an idiot and uh, got, <laughs> got the bouncer over there. But the bouncer probably wouldn't have kicked us out because yeah. we already gave him a knife right? or promised him a knife. Mm-hmm. So he probably would have said, yeah, 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 I'll just sneak over here. Cool. But, um, but he could have kicked us out just as easy. But it was a connection. Mm-hmm. And that's what everything is about is just building relationships and finding that connection and getting to know people. Mm-hmm. So. It's legit. Love it. Yeah. Um, so speaking of people again, uh, slight change in subject, but this again goes back to your persuasiveness. There, do you know? I don't know if you know who Luke Zito is. I know Luke. Yeah. Okay, so Luke was on my podcast. I heard it. Episode. Oh, you listened to it? Yeah, of course okay. I listened to your podcast. I love it, dude. I love it. Come on, man. we're just building our relationship <laughs> right here. <laughs> um, I don't remember. I don't. Yeah, no, no, no. I don't think we talked about it on the podcast, but. At one point, a while back, maybe a year ago now or something, I posted some uh, Instagram story with you in it, and then Luke, and I think I've told you this story, but for the listeners, um, for the thousands of listeners, millions of, no, uh, Luke replied to the Instagram story and said, is that guy's middle name really America? And I said, I looked at it and I said, I think I screenshotted it or something and sent it to you. Yeah. Apparently, you convinced everyone in high school that your middle name was America. And I told, I actually responded and told Luke, said, yep, it is. So this so is when he we still, were, he still believes we were on the way to South Africa. That's what it was. We were oh, on the way it? to we South were, Africa we and we posted a picture That's together right. Or, right. or something, yep. or you tagged me or something. Okay. And so you, you leaned over to me in the, <laughs> in the airplane when we were about to take off. I said, do you know Luke Zito? I said, <laughs> yeah. And he said, why does he think your middle name is America? <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, um, you know, we, in whenever I was in college, I had a roommate, uh, Brian Marbury, who was a close friend of mine, still is a close friend. Um, he's a pastor of a church in, um, in Alabama now, but uh, he was the youth pastor at Zora Baptist. Okay. And uh, so we were close roommates. Um, and so it was a joke that my middle name was America. I mean, you know, 
how American can you be? My no middle doubt. name is America. That's impressive. And so we joked about that. <laughs> My middle name is not America, but it does start with an A. Um, and so Nolan A. Runnerson, mm-hmm. and they said, what's A stand for? <laughs> it's America. <laughs> and so um, I would tell the, the, the guys that were a little younger than me that they would ask me, I said, no, middle name is a word. That, like, rumor spread. Pretty quickly. And you were you where did you get high school at? So I went to Central. Was this, this was after high school. Oh, this was in college. Yeah, right? this was like in within the youth group. Oh, okay, okay. Um, you know, got it, Brian got was the was the youth pastor. Uh, I was his roommate. I helped got out it. with the church a little yeah. bit and <laughs> and so the rumor kind of spread a little bit and it kinda got like a little like everybody was just assume I'm and they thought it was cool. Like <laughs> this guy's middle name is America. <laughs> And how do I break their hearts to say, no, I'm, my middle name is not America? And so I would just grin and say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the most amazing thing to And you. so, you know, um, and it was, it was started as a joke, but people really believe it. And mm-hmm. Luke Zito, this was, so this was 2016 we went to South Africa. Mm-hmm. Was it 2016? 2016. No, it's 2018. 2018. 2018. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I got this phone right before we went. Yeah. And this phone's two years old. And I can do Talk math. about keeping up with technology, huh? I know, right? I need to get the new phone. Two years old. It's terrible. It's terrible. Disgraceful. You still have yours? <laughs> Actually, we both bought no, no, phones. I got an, yeah. No, you got I a new phone? I got a new one. Yeah, I'm up with technology, Chase. Fancy. You're too fancy for me. <laughs> America. Um. So... Uh, so that was 2018. Mm-hmm. That had to have been. Luke was. I mean, when did Luke graduate? He went to school. He was, with you, uh, huh? Yeah, he was two. He was two years younger than me. So he graduated in 2009. So 2009. So this is a, a, a solid nine years later. That's yeah. Wow. As an adult, he still believed my middle name was America. Yeah. And I reinforced it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, edit out the part where I said my middle name is not America. <laughs> Uh yeah, the long play. Was yeah, it solid. was um it was pretty epic when you said, "Is your middle name? Why does Luke <laughs> think your middle name is America?" Anyway, it was great. That is um, amazing. Also, I uh, before I move on to more questions, I will interject one other thing really quickly about uh your uh persuasiveness. I guess I picked up on you. So you have a brother and two sisters. Mm-hmm. And lots of nieces and nephews, mm-hmm. especially one of your sisters has a ton of kids. Yeah, we don't even count them. We anymore. don't count. There's like yeah. close to double digits, I think. Yeah. Um, actually, whenever they started putting limits on how many people could be in one place, she had to like move some kids <laughs> out, separate her family. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had to send them to your house. Um, so you, one thing that I saw you do like a couple years ago, or whenever it was, that I was like, I'm going to do that, and I am doing it, is all of your nieces and nephews, you would always, whenever you're interacting with them, say, who's your favorite uncle? They would say you. And the first time I saw it, I was like, nice. But apparently you have been training them since birth, yeah. like Pavlov dogs. You give them a candy or something every no, time they so say it's, it. No, so it's all about just you know, building relationships. <laughs> it's back to building relationships. And, and um and so I taught them very early on that, uh, you know, who's your favorite uncle? And I would teach them the answer, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, my brother, <laughs> um, he picked up on that a little bit late. <laughs> so I had already good head start on them, like mm-hmm. before they could really even talk. You know, you got to start working on them, okay. building that relationship. <laughs> and um, and so, you know, when they get to be three or four years old and they're very talkative, you, 
ask them who their favorite uncle is, mm-hmm. and they scream, Noli. That's what they call me, Uncle Noli. Yeah. Um, well, Uncle Nate Dog is <laughs> <laughs> not their favorite, so he would try to bribe them. But it's uh, really it's them. really about building relationships more than it is about <laughs> like providing people. something for somebody um, that, that's bribing. So it's about finding a common interest and building that relationship. And I, I was their favorite uncle, and I taught them that early. This is like human psychology 401 <laughs> that we're going in right here. Yeah, um, I, I've done I've start I've done that. Okay, so that that's I've got a couple more hints from just this conversation. So this is beneficial. But I'll do it sometimes and I've gotten uh like my nephew will say uh he calls my dad Papa. And so I'll say, who's your favorite uncle? And he'll say, Papa. <laughs> yeah, sometimes like, it backfires on you. Sometimes it backfires on you. Yeah, and then sometimes, you know, Nathan would bribe them a little bit, and then they'd come to me and go, what are you going to oh. give me? And I refuse to give them anything, you know. I mean, I give them time, and I give them stuff, but not for them to say that's my favorite so uncle. So you, you're above bribing. Yeah, no, I mean, Absolutely. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not above providing them with something that they need. <laughs> Incentive. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so they learned, at, uh, you know, when they start hitting that double-digit age, you know, 10, 12, they start going, well, Nate Dog gave me this. <laughs> so if you're my favorite uncle, you should be giving me this. Yeah, it's learning to do still. Right. But, uh, but yeah, they, um, uh, it's, you got to, Sometimes it's a little off track, but you know, straighten them out. Stick with it. Build a relationship. <laughs> My thing is, how do you manage so many? It's like, how many nephews and nieces do you have? Um, so on my uh, parents, my parents' side, my side of the family, um, there is nineteen total grandkids. Now some of those are mine, uh, but right. nineteen total. And then on my wife's side of the family, yeah, but there are two of them, three of them are yours. So sixteen yeah. nieces and nephews. Yeah. So lots and lots of um, of kids. They're Twenty years old down to um, two years old. Mm. Of course, mine is the youngest. Um, He's still zero. One month. Old. Right. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but on Kelly's side of the family, it's only uh, I've got one niece and then our kids. So, uh, okay. Yeah, it's just one. Pretty small on that side of the family. Right. But I um, only have one cousin, uh, or two cousins, and one set of aunt and uncle and my wife has a bunch like a huge family so she was always yeah. like your family's so small um yeah that's but, how my wife doesn't have a big family and our family is huge on both sides my mom and my dad and of course us and your family all lives within a quarter mile of you yeah i have one <laughs> sister that lives in kentucky that's right and um and she has three kids and but she drives now fairly often to see us but everybody else lives in the renerson compound also known as bellingrath Bellingrath, right? Which Carl is a part of. Carl, Carl, joining the commune. To the commune. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so I knew that uh, we could like talk forever. It's eight fifteen, and we've been going for like a couple hours. Uh, I'm good for a couple more if you are. So uh, just let me know though if you want to if we have to cut out. But I want to shift a little bit because as I tag you in some of these things whenever I'm posting the podcast, if someone was to go to your Instagram page they would see something that they might not expect based on our conversation so far, but they'll see a pic. all, I think every single picture almost will be pictures of knives. Right. Yeah. So my Instagram is kind of my hobby, um, and a little bit of, um, of work as well, but, uh, but mostly hobby. Um, there's a 
occasionally a picture of my family or fishing or hunting. Yeah, they picture, might work but, their way in there. Or something. Uh, probably ninety percent of it <laughs> is knives, and um, yeah, so that's that's what you'll see on my Instagram. So why do you like knives so much? So you know, I mean, I think it's just something that most dudes like. Um, you know, whether you're using it as a tool or something that looks cool or you know self-defense um it's always good to have a knife or two okay so i'll so let me cut to the chase on it because uh for anybody that that is unaware we is that your tagline by the way let's cut to the chase should be (laughs) totally (laughs) that might be a little on the cliche side but i can run with it all right uh so we've worked together on a knife business correct so i'm very aware of the knife world uh, in case someone listening was, thought I was asking out of ignorance. But I'm pushing on this because I want to cut to the chase tagline. tagline. On Yeah, that's great. That sounds great, Nolan, what you just said, using knives as a tool and like all that, blah, blah, blah. But the real question is, why do you spend thousands of dollars on knives? And why do you have, I don't know, 200 or whatever knives in your collection? And why do you post pixel perfect edited photos of the knives on Instagram? That's the real question. So, um, so yes, we, um, we have done some business together on knives. My brother and I and Chase um, have worked together on African Custom Knives, which is um, a company that we've, we basically work with knife makers from South Africa to bring their knives to the U.S. And, and Chase knows all this because he created the website. Um <laughs> But uh, and and helped us build that business. But Nathan runs it. Um, mm-hmm. I help out a little bit, but I just enjoy doing it. And and you know, from as a kid, you grow up and you you like knives. I mean, I remember the first knife that I got, and I remember kind of knives over the time that I got. I remember the first knife that I really like bought that I thought was a nice knife. And um, you your interest changes a little bit, and you 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 understand what a nice knife is you understand maybe there's some meaning behind just something that somebody built as opposed to just a tool um and so that's that's kind of what i enjoy about it um is it's not just a tool it's not just something i enjoy but there's usually a story behind it and and you build a connection with somebody who has built this knife by hand it's pretty cool and Mm -hmm. some of them are are nice because it's people I know and some of them are nice because they're really nice uh, works of art or um, engineering. Um, it's kind of like if you, if you drive a, um, you know, uh, old junky car your whole life and then somebody gives you the keys to a Ferrari, you go, why, why have I been driving this old junky car? You mm-hmm. know, or, <laughs> um, and you know, it's just, it's, it's, fun it's interesting it's 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 neat to have that connection with people and see the different uh, works of art that people put into these knives and um and so yeah i just enjoy it it's a hobby Uh, i use instagram mostly for um for that uh, for knife stuff so if you go to my instagram it's mostly knife knife stuff you go to my (laughs) facebook it's hardly any knife stuff uh it's mostly family and you know stuff that we're doing um but yeah so yeah i live kind of a so what was the what was the first knife that you got? So the first knife I got, um, the first real knife that I, when I say it's a real knife, it wasn't really a real knife. It wasn't <laughs> sharp. <laughs> um, but yeah, my dad gave me a um, very dull um, 
not an edge on it at all. So it's not like it's just a dull knife. Dull knives are bad, by the way. Mm-hmm. Dull knives are bad. If you give a kid a dull knife, he's more likely to cut himself than with a sharp knife. This wasn't dull. This was not a knife. This was just a piece of metal in the shape <laughs> of a knife. It wasn't sharpened at all. Um, so that was really the first um, knife-like product that I had. Um, but then, uh, you know, several other knives since then as a kid. I still have a lot of those. I still have that first knife. Really? Uh, or first knife-like product. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I remember going to a fair and buying my first knife, mm. uh, which was $5. Uh, it was a dagger. Um, nice. Yeah. And, um, yeah, still got it. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty interesting, but um, but the, a lot of knives have come and gone since then. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, you know, buying the first kind of folder production knife that that I thought was uh, Columbia River Knife and Tool. Um, kind of a cool knife, uh, you know. You still they still sell them. It's still a good knife, but it's a production knife. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no real meaning. There's tons of them out there. People can still get them. And then I remember buying my first custom knife. Um, I had had a couple of custom knives that people had built um, that my dad gave me as gift. So one was a miniature. Um, one was a hunting knife that I used often. Um, very nice. But I didn't really appreciate it until I bought my first mm-hmm. production knife. Uh, first custom, custom knife, knife yeah. myself. And so that was from Trevor Berger. Um, nice. Knife maker from South Africa. Um, and this was when I went to Africa the first time. I went hunting with Trevor, and That's uh, epic. I bought this knife right before I went with him. Uh, and that was the first real custom folding knife that I bought. Several have come uh, since then. Yeah, just uh, a couple. Just a custom. Couple. Actually, my first custom knife that I bought from the knife maker was Trevor Burger yeah. in South Africa whenever we were there. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Um, so just... As a little aside here, quickly explain the difference between a, a knife and then a custom knife. And and just like in the, the quick and dirty, for people that don't know what yeah, exactly so a, that is. A, a knife is a tool and a custom knife is a piece of art. Um, you know, a production knife, they make plenty of them. Uh, you can go buy them. In a factory. They're usually less quality control. Yes, less quality um, materials kind of put together. They're, they'll do the job. There's nothing wrong with a production knife. And there's some really good production knives. But there's a, a piece of it that goes to that says, you know, this person built this knife. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of builds a connection. And usually they're using better quality. Um, they're making sure that it's right. And they're making sure that it's quality. And it's just, I enjoy it. I enjoy having, I have two custom knives on me right now. Of course, um, at all a, times, I think. At, yeah, <laughs> there's. I still carry some production knives here mm-hmm. and there. It's not, but I I enjoy a custom knife better because of the connection with the maker. Okay, so since we have cameras now, what are you carrying, and would you show us? Yeah, so <clears throat> I know what knife that is. So this is uh, this was my leftover Kit Kat from your office. Kit Kat, nice. Got to have Kit Kat. <laughs> um, no, so I got I got two knives. Uh, you want me to set them right here? Sure. Um, I don't know where the we could we could try to oh yeah and put that mic in front of you yeah real quick okay and then if you just hold it like in front of your face it'll work right. for Carl okay so this is um, Willem Steenkamp mm-hmm. uh, who 
you met mm-hmm. uh, several times. Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes to the U.S. for the Blade Show in Atlanta, um, but also got to hang out with him some in South Africa. Um, so this is one he built for me. This was um, uh, this was probably the first one that I said, "This is what I want my knife to look like." Okay, nice. So some of the other ones I've bought that were you know, made already. Yeah. And I liked them. Mm-hmm. That's good. But this is the first one I said, you know, how about you do this and do this and build this one for me? And he built this one for me. Um, so this is Thunderstruck Kevlar um, handle. This is um, Ivory G10, which is a synthetic material. Um, bronze pivot. And this is a few years old. Um, it's got a Damascus. This is called the Backspacer. Um, this is all done by hand. Uh, it's got a Damascus clip. Um, and then it's got a uh, stainless Damascus blade. And so um, this is etched in. There's two metals that are folded together. And stainless, they're welded together and then folded. And <laughs> it's a process that you should probably bring somebody else on to tell <laughs> right. you about how to do that. Yeah. Uh, but Damascus <laughs> is two different types of steels folded together. Uh, and then this, ed- this is polished. So um, this is etched. So they put it in acid and this etches it to show the pattern. Uh, and this is unetched or polished. So it gives it kind of some cool uh, features. So that is um, William Steenkamp um, custom knife. And then as well as I've got, um, which this is pretty cool too. Hey, you hadn't even seen this. Have you? I don't know. What is so, it? So this is a old oh. baseball glove. Oh, that's cool. I haven't so seen So this right is um, a friend that I met uh, through the knife world and through the hobby world is um, – Pacific Pastimes. Okay. Uh, he's on Instagram. Um, but he takes old baseball gloves, basketballs, uh, footballs. That's cool. And he makes them into usable stuff. So it kind of upcycles them into stuff. So anyway, this is my knife slip. So this is um, a slip joint um, made by Taste Meads. Yes. Um, you have <laughs> it makes unbelievable knives. Yeah. So when you talk about this is kind of the old school slip joint old school style um, knife yeah this is a knife that doesn't have a lock this is a very modern knife that's you know runs on maybe 70 80 ball bearings in this pivot um so very modern uh as opposed to this is a very traditional like your grandfather would carry mm-hmm. or your great grandfather um it's based on a spring here that opens and closes it and puts tension on it to keep it open or closed so um, this is Taze Meads. He's best slip joint maker in the world, uh, but an awesome dude too. <laughs> yeah, he's cool. Uh, we got to hang out with him a good bit. And he loves and, listening uh, to Kanye West. He loves Kanye West. <laughs> I think if he totally was a U.S. Kidding. citizen, he would vote for him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is Rosewood. This is another one that I had made specifically for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Rosewood, um, and then this is Westinghouse uh, micarta, which is an uh, kind of an old antique micarta. Kind of gives it that ivory look. Um, so, a a two knives, custom knives that I have connections with the makers on. Right. That. Um, that's why I like doing it. Right. Because you know the connection with the makers. So, so. I think I think that like uh, again I do know some of this topic, but um, so, but I think one of the things that a lot of people uh, easily overlook or or just cast aside in regards to not like this hobby i guess i should say like why is nolan buying all these yeah because like these two knives right here i know for a fact they're over 500 dollars each if you were to buy it get it made and buy it from the maker right right um and probably more for for really for this 
Uh, but a lot of people would be like, why on earth would you spend over $500 on this knife that you're probably not really going to cut much stuff with and you carry it around. But again, just to reiterate a little bit, what you said, there is that thing is almost as if, you know, you go, you're going to leave here in your Chevrolet, right? Chevrolet truck, GMC, G- okay. GMC truck. So <laughs> sorry, Carl has a Chevrolet close. So, <laughs> Gosh. so you go get in your GMC Chase and like, know. and like drive home. It's just this thing that you use that you bought from somewhere right. that some people made. Right. But this knife that you're carrying around it, you, met the guy, shook his hand and, you know, purchased this thing that he spent, I don't know how many hours, depending on what it is, but at least 20 hours of labor mm-hmm. constructing it. And, and only him also, right. like he may collect some of the materials and things like that, but it's not on a, it's not on an assembly line or anything. He's right. sitting in his workshop for these in particular, Will, yeah. Willem and Taste. They're sitting in their workshop, creating it themselves based on their own designs and and things and so i think that that like you know when you say a custom knife most people still would be like oh custom knife that's cool but they don't really understand that it's someone's right it's somebody that puts it's it's just like a a, you know whenever you buy a piece of art you know what is it other than some paint on a canvas and some pieces of art you go yeah and some pieces of art you're like oh that's awesome that's really talented you know yeah but it depends on your style and but it's it's not necessarily about the value of the paint on the canvas right it's the value of of having that relationship and like knowing that person to say this person did the art and whether it's somebody very famous or somebody you have a personal connection to just like your your kids' uh, crayon drawing that you put on the refrigerator, that's special to you because you know the artist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's my kids' crayon drawing, you don't want it on your. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, you know my kids, but yeah. you don't know them well enough to to value that. Um, and so, you know, having a custom knife is valuing one of two things. Maybe they're famous and maybe you want a piece of their art, or maybe it's because you have that personal connection with them and. and I enjoy that probably more than having somebody that's famous mm-hmm. is saying, you know, we shared a dinner together and we got to know each other, you know, in South Africa or mm-hmm. in at the Blade Show. And, or maybe it's just, I got to know him over Instagram or, yeah. or got to know him over, you know, Facebook Messenger mm-hmm. and you, you build a relationship. The, the slip that I showed you, I've never met that guy in person. Um, Mark, Mark. Seems like a great guy. I've got the, we've had several conversations over Instagram, and um, never met him in person. But you know, built a connection with him, mm-hmm. and, and he has some cool products that that kind of resonate with me and that I like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, anyway, yeah, and like the uh, the whenever we went to Africa, and we both shot an Impala on our hunt, and then we got our friend Stuart Smith. Um, who makes huge knives, forges knives. He made us a knife from the uh, from the horn of the Impala and the shell that we used to shoot it with and then a couple other things and basically pieced together, uh, you know, a custom one-of-a-kind thing to commemorate a memory that we had. Right. So South African knife maker putting together a thing that we can hold and put on our shelf or cut stuff with yeah about our south african trip which is really cool yeah so you know that's you build a connection somehow or another and and that's the cool thing about like you can design it and let them build it or 
you can pick the materials or <clears throat> you can harvest the impala that mm -hmm. is going into the handle and so it, it's it's cool it's you're not going to find that in a production knife that's right. just over the counter you're not going to buy it for 20 dollars at walmart no, no. <laughs> um i'm again thinking while we're talking that there's like a ton of stuff that we need to talk about um so I want to go go back to the conservation thing also because I'm remembering that I teased it at the beginning about killing animals and why it's good. So we got to come back to that. Yeah. Or and fishing and all that stuff too. Um, but talk to me about uh, you know, I love that we just established all of the reasons that you love knives. But why do you give your kids uh, a special knife every Christmas? Because you've been doing it since they were born, right? Your right. sons, right? You buy them a special custom knife. Is it a custom knife every time, or is it? Yeah, a, sometimes it could be a okay. A, a so, production but you, knife. But you give them a gift since they're born. A special knife for yeah. every is yeah. it every birthday or every Christmas. Well, so this is the reason is so my first son was born on Christmas Day, mm. and so everybody like when I said uh, dates in December, and it was actually December twenty eighth. He was due. They were saying, ah, oh, he, he gets, you know, messed over because, <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, yeah. he get doubled up on, yeah. yeah. So, so I said, well, I'm going to make his birthday special every year. And you know, he might not realize it when he is born, but mm -hmm. I'm going to give him a custom knife every year on his birthday. And that's going to differentiate between, um, you know, Christmas and birthday presents. So he gets other junk for his birthday, and, and that's great. They, we got too many toys. If anybody needs some toys, just come <laughs> come, come, come by my house. Um, we got tons of toys. But that knife is special, and he remembers every one now. He's seven. He'll be eight in December, and he remembers every one and which year it is and, and usually who the makers are. And, and, you know, it's a special knife for him. Sometimes it's custom. Sometimes it's not. Uh, I just find a knife that I think that he'll like and that means a little bit to him. Um, and so my second son was born on December 23rd. Wow. <laughs> he was. So, <laughs> he was actually due like the 18th and he was late. And so, um, you know, I'm, and now I've had a third son that was born um, not in a December. month ago. Not in December. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think I'm going to keep that tradition going uh, of me giving them something for their birthday every year. And and maybe they don't appreciate it now, or maybe they will never appreciate it. But I can look back and go, I remember the knife that my dad gave me. And, you know, you can probably remember back, but I can't remember the toy he gave me. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't remember the, the whatever it was that was popular at the time, the toy that I got. And I don't have that toy anymore, but I do have my first knife mm -hmm. that my dad gave me. And, um, so I always want to make that special. So now I've got three boys and three knives to buy every year, <laughs> at least for them, um, which really cuts into my collection, but you know, right. <laughs> um, okay. Quickly tell me, uh, what's, what's the big deal with these GEC and, and uh, warning to people listening. This is a little bit of a specific niche yeah. thing yeah so. we're getting into a little bit of the knife nut yeah. world which is fine yeah. we can do that for a minute sure. uh so why do you have so many uh gc knives and like what's the or no i should say not gc knives northwoods uh, sorry northwoods knives which are made by gc which are made great by eastern GEC. cutlery great eastern cutlery is the old school style um it's a 
production company, um, but they make them old school. They got these huge machines that that produce these knives that were made a hundred years ago. Mm. This is how they made knives a hundred years ago. There's no CNC cutting them around. There's no. Um, this is like legit. This it's really good steel that they're using. That's been around forever. It's not a new steel, but it is a really good quality steel. Um, and they make them kind of the old school way. And so Great Eastern Cutlery is a cool company um, that, that's making kind of cool old school knives. Uh, but then there's a knife uh, called Northwoods that's made by GEC, but it's this brand Northwoods. A little confusing for non-knife people, but yeah. it's a cool knife. Um, so my good friend who I have a, had, had a great relationship, he passed away a couple of years ago, uh, Derek Bone, um, had this company and really built it, um, the Northwoods brand, for having a uh, really quality with unique handle materials in a production knife. So it's really almost a custom knife because, you know, it's small quantities, um, cool knives, a lot of collectors out there in, in the uh, interwebs. But, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, but it should be said that your Northwoods collection is probably one of the more significant out there. Um, is that accurate to say? No doubt it's coveted by many. Yes, yes. No, it's um I, so I found um something that connected with me, which was giraffe bone mm-hmm. handles and um you know, having the South African connection with the knife company and um I, I and I like it. It's a unique handle material, it's cool. And so they started making handle these knife handles with giraffe bone. So I started collecting them, and I got a few more, and I got a few more. And then I got real close to saying, I think I have every one, <laughs> every model that has giraffe bone. And so that began my goal, um, less two models. So there was or less one model. I got down to the final model, and there was and only— how, ma- how many was that? So there's only two made. No, I mean, how many models have they done? Um, I'd have to go back and look, but, uh, you know, somewhere is around. Is it like five or is it 15? No, 12. Okay. 12 or so. Okay. Something like that. I'd have to go back and look. And they um, do, they release it, they do a limited run, and they sell out almost instantly. And Typically within five to seven minutes, sometimes three minutes on certain handle materials, sometimes less, they'll sell out. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they sell out pretty quick. So you've got down to the final model. The final model, and there's two knives that were made as a test run for giraffe bone. So it was the first knife made in giraffe bone. And, um, and there's two models in existence and there's production, like there's production totals showing that these were the first and only two models of this in giraffe bone. And when you say models, one model of two knives of that model, but is it two knives or is it a few of the model? Two knives. So just two One model. knives in existence. So I've got all the other models, and I'm down to the last model to collect. And there's there's only, only two, two knives, in existence. physical knives in existence. And I know where one is. Right. I know. <laughs> where is that one? So, so my brother has it. <laughs> uh, so Derek Bone, a good friend of mine and my brother's, um, before he passed away, um, he sent this as a gift to Nathan. Mm-hmm. Gift. Um he was a great friend. We, we really got to know each other over the years and uh, built a relationship, and uh, he was awesome. We enjoyed hanging out with him, both for learning knowledge from him uh, as well as just enjoying his company. And uh, and so he sent Nathan this gift uh, of a draft moment. And actually, he promised him that he would 
getting one and he forgot to hold one back for him. Anyway, it's a long story. Anyway, he was, um, he made two and he sent Nathan one of these and the other one he gave away on Facebook. It was a giveaway knife. So I searched for this knife, this giveaway knife, the second one Mm -hmm. for uh, years. Like I say years, like two years, not like, you mean you mean you're down to the final knife to, to complete your collection, and your own brother wouldn't give it, wouldn't sell it, and or give it to you. Own brother wouldn't sell it. <laughs> he still won't sell it. To you. Um, so I knew he wasn't going to give it up. So I had to find this other one. Mm-hmm. So I searched and searched and searched as I'm collecting the rest of them. Of course. But I get down to you know this last one, and I pretty much had given up on it. And a friend, um, a fellow knife collector, said, "Don't give up. Keep keep going after it. It'll come up." Because I hadn't seen it since he gave it away. Um, so I tracked down the guy who won it. I found him, who we're friends with. Mm. Um, he won it when he sold it. He doesn't know he sold it to you. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I tried that route. It didn't work. <clears throat> and so I just randomly, I found every picture I could on Instagram and Facebook of this knife and said, let me just post them and see. Sure enough, somebody that follows me on Instagram wow. said, I have that knife. <laughs> I said, awesome. <laughs> and he said, I don't really care that much about it. I mean, I like it, but it seems that like it's important to you. I said, yeah, it is. He said, I'll sell it to you. He sold it to me for what he had in it. It was a good price. Nice. Um, and so that completed the collection. Of course, no collection is ever really complete. Absolutely, yeah. So it's always. I mean, if you've got every model that giraffe bone and a certain knife has been made, then you need two models. That okay? Then you need two. Well, <laughs> I was gonna say that portion might be complete, but apparently not. No, it's never complete because they're coming out with some new knives here and there, and you know, you see one that you like a little better, and right. it, it that's the fun <clears> of it. I mean, that's it's, and part of it is the knives and the connection with the maker or the person who designed it. But some of it is connections with friends who also connect collect those knives. Mm-hmm. And so you got that connection with those guys as well as mm-hmm. with the person. So, yeah, sometimes hobbies are about uh, who's producing that piece of art or engineering or tool. And sometimes it's about, you know, connecting with people who also like that stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Um, cool. <clears throat> I'm, I'm curious also before we... Uh, go path knives is there um is there we talked about you giving your knives to your sons um is there something uh past the that reason of making them feel, feel special on his birthday as to why it's a knife that you're giving him um each year or past the past that you love knives yeah, well, not really <laughs> <laughs> no because I know I'm asking because I know you uh are worked with boy scouts yeah were a boy scout and uh big into that and so i was i was curious if there was some value yeah. uh, values thing that you were also kind of giving him along with the if, if somebody doesn't have a knife on them carl you got a knife on you i think that's no oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no i mean it, that's a tool that that a man should have, you know, whether it's to open mail or a box or defend yourself or, you know, I've never defended myself with a knife, by the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> never had the opportunity, never even been in a situation where I went, you know, I'm glad to have my knife to defend myself. <laughs> um, 
But I have I use my knife every day, and I use these knives that I carry that are expensive. I use them. You know, it's part of having a knife is is being able to use it and um, use it for several things, and um, it's useful. And I think that that boys should have things like that that are that they learn to be useful with, um, but also learn a little bit of responsibility of. This is a sharp knife. My son asked me the other day, Saturday. Uh, he said, "Dad, can I carry my knife today?" I said, "Yeah." And he's, you know, seven, so he doesn't carry it all the time. Mm-hmm. But when he asked me on the weekend and he wants to use it, I let him, let him carry it, and it teaches him a little bit of responsibility. It makes him feel a little bit like a man. And so, you know, I grew up hunting and fishing and in the Boy Scouts and and being outdoors and and having use for a knife. But you also use it in, in the office and you know at the hunting camp and. Uh, you know, every other situation, a knife comes in handy, and I want my kids to learn that. Mm-hmm. So. Cool. For the record, Chase told me you would take care of my knife uh, carrying with your pitch tonight. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> also, it's on the way. Also, uh, uh, knife ship free. Knife ship free. <laughs> Derek, we'll mail him a knife you. for me. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get one to you. <laughs> um, so uh, a couple more things that I wanted to talk to you about before I, I let you go um, is Boy Scouts that I yeah. just brought up. You So tell me about your experience with Boy Scouts like as a kid and as an adult. Yeah, so I started in Cub Scouts, which is early, which is like kindergarten through fifth grade. Um, you know, started there. Nathan was in Cub Scouts at the time, Boy Scouts at the time you know, from Cub Scouts to Boy Scouts. Um, and Nathan is older than you. Nathan right? is five years older than a me. A lot older. Like yeah, he's a, a very lot, old like man. Very much gray. Yeah. He's gray. Um, he's decrepit. He's yeah. starting to become decrepit. I think he's, for Christmas, I'm going to get him a walker. Okay. Yeah. He yeah probably, just probably in case. Um, <laughs> he might listen to this. So that's it. <laughs> <laughs> old man. <laughs> so, um, so he was kind of a little bit older. So I started in Cub Scouts there. Didn't, I mean, a couple years in and, then Nathan got out, so I got out as well. We got busy with family stuff and couldn't do it. Um, got back in at, um, which is a little bit later. So normally you would start Boy Scouts at like 11 years old, 10 okay. or 11 years old. And so that's kind of the time that you're um, getting in. I got in when I was 13. Mm. So a little bit later than normal. Um, got back into scouting. Uh, like, I just love the outdoors and, and doing that stuff. So we were still doing that kind of stuff, but I was never doing it with the Boy Scouts. And so at 13, I got back into the Boy Scouts, started with one of my good friends um, growing up. We both started together at 13. And so it was kind of a um, – we, we had each other to kind of get us through there and catch up with everything, uh, but loved it. I mean, I worked at the Boy Scout summer camp, um, went through camping. One one year I camped um, – we, we counted them, my buddy and I. Um, we camped 74 nights outside Wow! in a year, Dang. Uh, which, you know, it was, it's a pretty good bit when you're in high school. It's a lot. Know? It's not like you're going on these long month long journeys. It's, um, it was every, just about every weekend and, or every other weekend we were out camping somewhere. So, uh, sometimes with the whole group of Boy Scouts, uh, sometimes just on our own, uh, um, you know, so anyway, enjoyed the outdoors a lot, um, at the time, I was working for my dad um, and through high school and college. And then when I graduated college, I actually went to work for the Boy Scouts. Mm-hmm. And so I worked for the Boy Scouts for six years, um, doing similar stuff to what I'm doing now with CCA, um, going out and being in the community and 
telling people about what we're doing, recruiting kids into doing what what it is, teaching, organizing events, uh, organizing fundraisers. Um, so a lot of a lot of kind of organization to make the Boy Scouts run. Um, not the physical Boy Scouts, but the Boy Scouts as an organization. <laughs> the uh, not, not making them run laps. Uh, no, so you know, organizing uh, mm-hmm. a territory to say this: these are the events that we're doing, and this is the activities we're doing, and this is the outreach we're doing, this is the fundraising we're doing um, in an area. So that's what I did. I did it uh, in Baton Rouge, and then I moved to Meridian, Mississippi, and did it there for a few oh, years okay. yeah, yeah. Um, before coming that. back to Baton Rouge with uh, with Coastal Conservation Association. So that's what brought you back, actually, was that CCA. It. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And when did you when did you get married in that in your whole that whole journey there? So, um, so wait, nine years. You've been nine years at CCA. Nine years at CCA. Six years. six years before that. So that'd be um, two thousand five. Two thousand five is when I started. I got married in two thousand six. Oh, okay. Yeah. So y'all got married here. She and Kelly's from here as well. Yes. And then y'all moved to Meridian, and then yeah. came. Back. Okay. And so in, within the compound of my family, my sister, my brother, my parents all live within a half mile. Kelly's parents also live within. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So we're all real close. Got it. Um, and then, what do you um, do? Do you look back favorably upon all of that time as a Boy Scout? Do you think it was uh, it? Would it have been just the same if you were not in Boy Scouts, but still spent all that time outdoors, or do you kind of, or do you value all of that? No, time so spent? it's very valuable. The Boy Scouts, the outdoors is the tool. There's a lot more taught in the Boy Scouts than just being outdoors and having outdoor skills. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about country. It's about you know. There's tons of things, citizenship, and the things and and learning how to be learning developing your character the tool is the outdoors you know using the outdoors and using camping um kind of like i said with the knife the knife you know is teaching responsibility yeah sure it's just a knife sure it's just a camping trip but what do you learn with that when you're carrying that knife is responsibility and Mm -hmm. resourcefulness and and using that what do you learn on a camping trip you learn a lot of things that you do in life Funny Kelly, when we first got married, she would ask me, "How do you know that?" <laughs> and I say, "Learn it through the Boy Scouts." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like so many things that I learned through the Boy Scouts that you wouldn't think that the Boy Scouts are doing, but they're teaching character and they're teaching how to do things and how to be a, a, a citizen that is is given back to the community. And so, um, yeah, the, the outdoors are great, and I think that all kids should be outdoors and doing things. But uh, the Boy Scouts have a program, and and that program uses the outdoors to teach, mm-hmm. uh, to teach the things that they need to that that everybody really needs to know. But uh, but yeah, for sure, mm-hmm. I think it's valuable. <laughs> yes, cool. Good to know. the answer is yes. The answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, I was not um, I was not involved in. You got some. I was going to oh. say, I wasn't really involved either, but yeah. you're making me want to be involved. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 29 years old. I'm like, I want to do Boy Scouts now. Yeah. Is there a is there a thing like that for adults? No. Am I really? I mean, not like Adult Scouts. I mean, Adult like, Scouts. I don't know. It's just like, beer, uh, that sounds they, like. like they call it uh, Beer Scouts. Beer Scouts. <laughs> that's, that's why you go to Texas hunting every year. That's right. Um, no, there's not. But, the, you know, there's volunteer opportunities where, you, where you're doing that, but. Um, so the Boy Scouts go um, now, and I say the Boy Scouts. Boy Scouts was an organization. Now they have allowed girls in, which some people see that as a positive. Some people see it as a negative. But ultimately, they they saw it as a chance that girls, just like 
you wanted to get involved, girls wanted to get involved too. And they saw this and said, look, we want to, we want to learn this stuff and we want to be outdoors. And, um, and so they developed this program that also encompasses girls, which they've been doing for a while. Uh, they've had girls in it since the eighties, uh, just not in the traditional Boy Scout program. They have an explorer program that's more career driven, uh, and then a venturing program, which is, you know, older kids, 14 and older that do, that's, that's less, um, activity driven, less, um, kind of rank driven and more activity driven. So they may focus on rock climbing or mountain biking or something like that, more activity. Uh, so they've had girls involved a while, but no, there's not, not a whole lot for adults. So I think you're out, Carl. <laughs> Sorry. Nolan can take you out though sometime, show you some skills. Yeah. Do some camping. Drop you off and come back in a week. <laughs> and if you survive, then you passed. <laughs> Did they have stuff like that that you had to do? Uh, yeah. But like yeah. they just leave you out there? No, so there's, there's things that you... So as you move up through the ranks, they kind of get harder. And, and I mean, it's a it's an extensive learning program. This is like going to school. It's not mm-hmm. like – so people value Eagle Scout, the rank of Eagle Scout. Yeah. It's not because you earn some badges and you, and you, you know, stuck it out long enough. It's because if you earned Eagle Scout, you had the dedication to stick, and you had to learn all these things to get you there. And so when, you know, people value Eagle Scout – it's not because you've got a badge on your shirt. It's because you earned those things and you went through the process and you should be a well-rounded human being. <laughs> not everybody is, but, um, <laughs> but you should be because you've learned a lot of things along the way. And so, you know, you, you kind of, it's an extensive program that mm-hmm. you do a lot of learning, um, outside of just earning badges. You learn everything from, camping to cooking to home life to all this stuff and yeah so so whenever uh, it kind of was a tradition in my troop that you had an eagle scout camp out whenever you earned eagle scout or whenever you were going up for eagle scout is you had to basically pass this test Mm. now it wasn't an official part of the boy scout organization (laughs) um but it was something a tradition that we had so the past eagle scouts would take you on this camping trip okay. and you had to do certain things to prove that you knew now like kill an animal with your bare hands and eat no, its raw flesh no, and stuff like that no i can't yeah. tell you about this stuff i can't oh, tell you about this. <laughs> <laughs> no it was about skills and it was about yeah. you know they would ask you questions like what do you you know what do you know about this and tell us about this and and so show us how you do this if this happened, what would you do? So it wasn't just about necessarily the skills to survive, but it was about, are you prepared to be an Eagle Scout? Like, did you earn this Eagle Scout badge? And and it was pretty cool because it was the people that were older than me, and some of them were, you know, a couple years older than me that had earned their Eagle Scout. Some of them were 20 years older than me. Oh, they come back and say, we're going to be on this camp out with you, and we're going to be watching what you do. And you, they would go put you up by yourself and they would put a camp a little further with all of them together mm-hmm. and you would have a tent and you would have to cook and prepare and you know and of course with my for my eagle scout camp out it was raining storming of course and uh, <laughs> and i had to start a fire and cook wow. in the pouring down rain <laughs> and so yeah there's there's some um there's some survival stuff but there's a merit badge that you earn that's wilderness survival and you go out and you have to you know, learn all these skills, 
over the time and prove kind of stepstone up. And then your last kind of requirement is to prove that you know how to do it. And so you'd have to go out and spend the night in the woods uh, with nothing. Like you just, you have to build your own shelter and you have to do this stuff. And of course it's only one night, but as a kid you go, I'm big stuff doing this. And so how old were you when when you had to do that? So that was, uh, so I was, I joined when I was 13 and um, I stayed in scouting till I was, Almost eight until until okay. I was eighteen. I stayed in scouting and and uh, did that. I worked at the summer camp for a while, um, and then of course I joined uh, as a professional scout, working for the Boy Scouts um, as well. So cool, yeah, nice. Carl had the mic for a second. I was wondering if he had a. I was fixing to ask if you made Eagle Scout, but I'm assuming you did. I did. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Chase, we have, wow, we have, we have loyalty. A real man in the a room. Real man. Well-rounded human being is what I am. Exactly. I believe is. I mean, I think most of them come out like that. So I think I'm. I think I'm in that most. And of them. you can grow a wicked beard, which is very important. Yeah, so I trimmed it up for the show. Oh, did you? Yeah, in case the that. listeners could see it. Yeah. So it wouldn't rub well, on the, the mic. The watchers can. I think oh, yeah, we, the watchers we, we do can. have some video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I don't know if Carl, Carl probably doesn't know, but the whenever your house flooded in the 16 floods, yeah. you grew a flood beard. Is that what it was called? It was a homeless beard. Homeless beard, yeah. right, right, because you're homeless, beard. of course. Yeah. So mean, you Nothing it. against homeless people. Right, of course. Yeah, we, I, we love homeless people. I was homeless. You were. So my house flooded, you know, um, in 2016, and we didn't have insurance. And so it was a lot of the work that I was figuring out how to do and figure out how to build a house, rebuild a house. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of YouTube. Um, (laughs) So watched a lot of YouTube. Um, But I said, whenever we flood, I said, I'm homeless. (laughs) We lived with Nathan for three months. That's terrible. Yeah, it was. Well, not Nathan. Sorry. I mean, no, it wasn't no. terrible. Yeah. Just oh, terrible I thought you said Nathan. <laughs> um, you know, so it really, it was 10 of us living in a three-bedroom house well, okay, that is with, pretty uh, yeah, with pretty three dogs um, <clears throat> and 10 people living in a three-bedroom house. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It, no, it was great. We enjoyed it. And, you know, Nathan was awesome to take us in yep. and uh, let us live there. Then we got a, um, a FEMA trailer mm-hmm. uh, in our front yard. Yeah, so fancy. If you're not um, living high, yeah, living high in our front yard in a trailer, <laughs> it was great. Um, but it was it really was convenient because I could work on the house and then immediately walk in the trailer mm-hmm. and pass out and go to sleep because mm-hmm. I was so tired. But uh, I rebuilt the house. I was homeless, and so I said, you know what? If I'm homeless, I might as well look homeless. Mm-hmm. And so I just said, I'm not going to trim my beard until I move back in the house. And I didn't really realize what that commitment would be. <laughs> How <laughs> until, long was it? So, so it was um, a year and four months I moved back in the house. Dang. Um, and I could grab my beard uh, with one fist, two fists, and it was still hanging down <laughs> from the second fist. And so, yeah, it was... Um, it was amazing. It was incredible. I don't know why you shaved it. It was a lot of work. <laughs> I don't know how girls do it. <laughs> like, like I, you know, comb my hair and stay nice and neat and trim. But man, I had to like put product in it, and, like dry <laughs> it in the mornings, and wow. like comb it out. Like it was, it was a lot of work. I don't know. I don't know. One of the cooler things also was whenever you did shave it, you shaved it with a 
What was yeah, it? Yeah, so it was a custom knife. Right. So uh, a good friend um, sent us sent me this knife. You know, I kind of everybody was asking me, "Why do you have this long beard?" <laughs> and so I tell them it's my homeless beard, and then that would go into you know why are you homeless and you know it's a whole story but uh and i wasn't it wasn't a pity party thing it was just yeah. you know they were interested in what what was going on um and so he said i said i'm gonna shave it when i move back in the house and he said i got something for you to shave it with so it was a straight razor knife custom knife that he built a uh, jack conan um jack's awesome guy fantastic knife maker mm-hmm. um especially with the razors i mean super thin like as nice it's unbelievable it, like could have killed me maybe that's what Absolutely. his purpose but um <laughs> jack i love you um but yeah i shaved with the straight razor yeah it was pretty but epic. i left the mustache right oh right it, it, was, <laughs> it was it was quite long by that time so my wife didn't like it yeah yeah how did your wife deal with your homeless beard by I, the way no she loved it she no, would she snuggle didn't. if they went well, no, to sleep. She just, I'd wake up and she'd be snuggling with my beard. <laughs> no, she, she didn't. I'm kidding. Um, she liked it okay. I mean, she she prefers this, like kind of yeah, yeah. neat and trim. Tame. But she, she she allowed me to grow it without too much Props. complaining. And, Props uh, to her. You know, it's good. Right. Um, okay, let's finish the last segment here. We're, we've been following my outline for this podcast perfectly. You can see my notes over here. Right, right. My outline described exactly. Yeah, no notes. Um, but we do. I do. I do want to ask you some about your uh, your take and your experience, and again, bring in some of the CCA uh, thing knowledge also on this. But uh, just the outdoors in general. We you know we live in Louisiana. Louisiana is a huge sportsman's paradise. There's another. Uh, tagline for you um but there's a uh, it's become more and more well i pay attention to politics more than i think the average person and so i see a lot of the anti-hunting or anti-fishing or you know we have grocery stores why do you go kill animals that sort of thing um so i wanted to talk a little bit about conservation in general as a whole why you think that spending um, your time in the outdoors and to put it bluntly killing animals is a good time investment uh, and then of course why you choose to work for an organization that um, that is heavily involved in fishing and outdoorsman outdoorsmanship in general yeah so the, the kind of can answer would be you know it's providing for yourself it would be going out knowing where your food came from catching wild caught stuff or killing a, a, a deer and harvesting the meat knowing that the meat is organic and grass fed that's it's all good and great but ultimately um, the people who care about conservation the most are the people who enjoy it and those people are willing to put their money up to say I want this resource to be here forever now, you could care about fish or you can care about um, deer or, or any other wildlife and you can care but if you don't enjoy that resource then you're probably not going to put your money up to protect it and to and to make sure it's here forever and so you know 
sportsmen are the are the people who are funding conservation whether you're going to africa to hunt and funding you know that economy and and the conservation world there or whether you're uh, going fishing in grand isle or venice and or big lake and you're you're enjoying the resource and it's a renewable resource that we have and as long as we can protect it and make sure that it's there if we're enjoying it we're more likely to support it and make sure that it's that it's there for a long time um and so you know that's i enjoy hunting um, you know all the reasons i said before with mm -hmm. the, you know enjoying the outdoors and and being you know having fresh fish or you know deer that you know where they've been and you know where the meat is and it's organic and grass-fed and all these taglines that are important and it's great feed my family with it but ultimately i'm a sportsman who enjoys the resource and i want it to be there for a while and so i'm willing to put my money up to make sure that that resource is there forever mm -hmm. and um you know as cca um we have members who care and they enjoy the resource and they enjoy going fishing um very few of our members say, you know, we don't really like to fish. We just support conservation. Those people are not putting up their money. They may say we want to protect the fish, but they're not putting up their money to protect fish. The people who are putting up the resources are the people who use them and care about it uh, the most. So, cool. What what do you? One thing actually that um, that was very interesting to hear about, and I remember a lot. Or was whenever we were in Africa talking with um, with our guide because uh, we spent a good amount of time with him, in, in, you know, hunting and then also in the truck. Um, but he kind of shared some information that I think was also new to you. But of course, you have a lot more knowledge on this um, than I than I would here, and then of course also uh, maybe in Africa. But Anyway, to get to the point, one of the he was kind of talking about um, hunting over there, and you know, hunting deer in America. The the main thing that we hunt, big game in America, is is deer, and most people kind of understand. It's not, I guess, it's not a huge deal for if somebody kills a white-tailed deer and then eats it, but in Africa, for instance, and, and it is for some people. They some people don't want you to kill anything, um, but in Africa, for instance, if somebody kills a lion. Or somebody kills a, a rhino or a zebra, um, you know. There's a usually that's people kind of picture those or a giraffe. People picture those animals as oh, they're zoo animals. Like the why are you killing these zoo animals? Um, so I was curious if you had any, like you know, you talk to a lot of people um, in in that value the outdoors and value hunting and all that. But you also we've come across people at knife shows, for instance, that. Um, that are, I wouldn't say appalled, but they have a differing view. So I was curious to hear um, if you've had any conversations like that or like what your thought is whenever you kind of see that opinion of why would you kill a lion? Like that can't possibly possibly be a good yeah. thing. So, so we see the African animals in a different light because it's not home for us. It's, you know, something that we see at zoos or something we see in, cartoons or something we see on the discovery channel we don't realize these are wild animals a giraffe is a wild animal a zebra is a wild animal it, you know some people say I, I don't i don't know how you would shoot a zebra which i've never shot a zebra um <laughs> not yet not yet <laughs> um but the zebras that we know we think of them as horses 
But the zebras that you and I saw in South Africa are wild animals. I mean, these are not domesticated horses and dogs and, you know, cats. These are wild animals that survive in Africa. South Africa has just tons of predators. I mean, you think a lion and a leopard and a rhino and a hippo. And all these are like the big five, the dangerous five. They're dangerous not only to humans. They're dangerous to other animals. They're surviving out there. They're mm -hmm. wild animals. And so, you know, why why shoot this animal? Why shoot a lion? I, I've never shot a lion either, by the way. Um, <laughs> Can't afford to shoot a lion yet. <laughs> <laughs> but that money, you know, you talk about money. When it comes to a lion, that money is pumped back into the economy, and it furthers conservation. And so, you know, if, if a, somebody that says you shouldn't shoot a lion um, – says, you know, I love conservation. I don't know why you would shoot a lion. Are they willing to put up $50,000 to love conservation? Mm -hmm. Or is this hunter that says, look, I want to go shoot this animal, whatever it costs. Maybe it's not 50, maybe it's five, or maybe it's 10, or maybe it's $100,000 or, or whatever they spend on this hunt. That's pumping money into conservation and making sure that, that the lion has the habitat and, and there's a lot of things that we don't understand when it comes to lions, and we just see, oh, this beautiful lion <laughs> got shot. No, I mean, it's the world. <laughs> Our friend George Mueller, who is um, from South Africa, a knife maker, he always says, uh, Africa's not for sissies. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> and I love it. He's an old guy. He's uh he's seventy five years old now and makes knives and he and he loves hunting and he says Africa's not for sissies because you know, lions are they'll kill each other. I mm -hmm. mean they'll kill other things. It's not like this little cat that you just shoot. So anyway, that was a um a long answer to a long question. But um yeah, I mean ultimately hunters and conservationists people who enjoy the resource are willing to put up money to make sure that resource is there. Mm -hmm. Whether it's hunting lions or catching speckled trout or uh, whatever else you enjoy doing, you're willing to pay for it. You're willing to make sure that it's there for a long time. And If uh, hunters stopped going to South Africa or, or all throughout Africa, probably the, the lions would suffer more than they would if mm -hmm. occasionally people went and, and hunted them. Mm -hmm. Um they would suffer more by not having those hunters supporting conservation. Mm -hmm. um, yes, absolutely. That's that's one thing that I, uh, uh, one thing that is not, I guess, the obvious thing of you by hunting these animals, you're actually protecting and ensuring that they're valuable enough for people to preserve them in the long run. Whereas. If they were just out there, <clears throat> out there in the wild, they would be totally at the yeah. uh, at the hands of whatever else is trying to eat them and kill them. Right, um, and it's not just that; it's you know everything else that's going on in the world with populations moving in on their territory. Right. They've got a lot of other, a lot of other issues, habitat being lost, and a lot of other issues rather than just hunters or rather than just you know natural surviving. Yeah, yeah, surviving. There's a lot that goes into it, and you know, as the human population grows and as hunters and fishermen grow, so does the effort in conservation have to grow as well. Because 
you know, more pressure and more things happening in less habitat, sometimes we have to fix some of the things that we do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's just, just part of being on the world and, and making it better. Right. Um, I ha- Okay, I have a question to finish with. But before I, we finish, I want to hear uh, – we could keep this – not a lightning round because that's another cliche that I don't want to do. But like, I want to hear about uh, the biggest uh, deer that you've killed. Yeah. Um, and then I want to hear about the funnest hunt that you've ever been on. So um, the biggest – Deer that I killed, or the biggest deer that I did not kill. Well, we heard about the biggest deer that you did not kill. I think that I think we're keeping that in the episode. Oh, okay. We didn't cut it out. Uh, <laughs> that yeah, you just botched that. the shot. No. Um, no, the the biggest deer that I killed has been at uh, in Texas. Okay. L and L Adventures, um, awesome place. It was a fun hunt. We kind of uh, hunted for a few days looking for the deer. It's a different type of hunting than in South Louisiana. South Louisiana, you're going to get in a stand and you're going to uh, wait for a deer to pass and and hopefully get a shot. Um, in Texas, it's a little different. It's kind of like in South Africa, where you're um, you're going out and you're almost chasing them. You're trying to identify them. Sometimes they're sitting in stands. Sometimes they're sitting in stands. No, 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 they, no, no, no. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> uh, Sometimes hunters are sitting in stands, and sometimes right. they're going out and about and mm-hmm. and finding them. Um, finding the deer or whatever you're hunting. And so this time we were, we were looking for the deer. Um, we identified, uh, we found the deer. We identified one that we said, okay, we're going to try to target this one. We kind of spot and stalked them down and, um, it was a fun hunt. It, uh, it had, it was a fighter. It had the whole left side, the whole right side of the deer. Every tine was pretty much broken off to some degree or another. And, uh, and so, and then on the left side, it was, um, you know, when they're in velvet, you know, deer grow antlers every year. Mm -hmm. And so it's not, then they drop off and they grow. A lot of people don't know that. Mm -hmm. Um, but they grow these new ones. Well, there's like a weevil or a beetle or a bug type thing that sometimes will get into the velvet as this horn is, as this antler is growing. And so on the left side, there is a hole in the end of the antler where, oh, wow. where a beetle or That's a cool. weevil or whatever it was kind of grew in there and made their home in this bone that was growing. Um, so anyway, it was cool deer. It measured 151 inches, which nice. is the biggest one that I've killed. And um, it was a fun hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, the most exciting hunt I've been on. Ooh, that's tough. Um you know, I've got a lot of memories of just different hunts with my dad and, and stuff, but I, I, I think that the uh, probably the the most memorable hunt is it was in South Africa, just mm-hmm. because it was different than what I've ever did. Mm-hmm. So I went in 2016 with my brother and um, had a great hunt there, and it was just neat to to be in the mountains, uh, different from South Louisiana. There's no mountains here, um, and so. You know, we shot a, I shot a Blesbach at, um, at about 230 yards um, with about a 30-mile-an-hour crosswind <laughs> on the top of a mountain. And wow. uh, the, our guy there uh, that time was, um, was a professional rugby player. Mm-hmm. Paul. Paul. Yeah. Uh, Paul Yardon. Um, awesome dude. Um, he had uh, like a bye week, basically, in rugby, <laughs> whatever they call it there. Um and so he came down and 
got his dad owned the lodge so he had to in order to keep his ph license professional hunting license he had to guide for a week out of the year two mm-hmm. weeks out of the year or whatever so we happened to be the ones that he came guiding on nice. um and so uh paul sat next to me we tried to try to do the the bipod it was just too windy i couldn't hold steady um we sat down i couldn't hold steady there I mean, it's 30 mile an hour crosswind like mm. Pretty, pretty stout pretty wind. Um, almost tropical storm force winds, <laughs> uh, which we know a lot about yeah. lately. Um, and so Paul, whose legs are about as big as my torso, uh, <laughs> sat right next to me to block the wind, put his leg there, and I put my arm on his leg, uh, which was solid as a rock, and, um, <laughs> and then the bipod. And he said, aim um, – uh, 12 inches or one foot in front of the chest of the deer. The deer was, uh, the blesbach was standing broadside. He said, aim one foot in front. Mm-hmm. And uh, sure enough, perfect shot right behind the shoulder. Wow. Which so, so that bullet moved about two feet in 230 yards. Dang. Uh, right to left. So anyway, that was probably... Um, one, but there's several memorable hunts we can talk about. That one's pretty forever, epic. But that's that was probably one. And of you the have most that fun. one. You got that one shipped back, right? Yeah. So I have that one mounted in the African Custom Knives office. Very cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's to to close it out, and so we don't go to midnight on on our episode. Um, I want to know uh, again in the world of CCA and conservation in general for the state, because that is one thing that everybody who listens to this. We'll have in common. I mean, most people, I think, will be in Louisiana. But I thought this was worldwide. Yeah, you're right. We do get millions of listeners worldwide. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Carl, uh, Carl makes sure that we, he has those channels that we can distribute right. to reach those people. Totally, he's making a face. No. Um, totally. So, uh, what is? Uh, I'm curious to know if there's uh, any barriers or any threats, I guess, out there that you see um, for the conservation efforts in Louisiana, whether it's climate, which is a huge thing, or whether it's political things, or whether it's uh, industrial development. I don't know. what is there yeah. anything out there that, um, that maybe most people might not be, the normal person in their everyday life might not be aware of, but should be interested in, in preserving the state? So part A, and then part B being if someone uh, wanted to either... Uh, investigate it more or help out with conservation efforts what what should they do yeah so um there's a ton of threats to conservation and to our fisheries and uh, you know you can include hunting in that cca doesn't necessarily involve hunting i just like it personally (laughs) um but to our fisheries there's tons of threats there's overfishing there's people who don't care um, there's people who are not interested anymore, which is a big threat of, you know, the next generation is looking at their phone instead of being out catching fish and learning that, um, you know, there's, there's tons of reasons. There's people out there that don't want you to catch a fish, mm-hmm. you know, um, they don't want you to, they want them to stay in the, in the water and you never catch them. Um, but it's a renewable resource and we have to make sure Whatever that threat is, whether it's, um, you know, a law that's being passed or a law that needs to be passed to protect the fisheries, to enhance the fisheries, to make sure that the habitat is there, um, to make sure that the environment is in a good 
position, whether the water is dirty or whether it's too much fresh water uh, being funneled down or whatever that threat is, we have to make sure that uh, the environment is good and the habitat is good for the fish. Um, you know, as well as we have to educate the next generation. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's a lot of threats out there. And I wouldn't say that one is, is the worst or the most threat. I would say all of them are. And that's what CCA does is, you know, we started early uh, protecting the fisheries um, politically and, and by laws and making sure that things were done uh, to protect the fish by law, um, advocacy work for it. And then it turned into habitat and advocacy. And then it turned to education, habitat and advocacy, which is the three parts of what we do. Um, and so, yeah, it's not... Um, there's a ton of threats out there, mm-hmm. and so our job's never really done. Um, but we're going to work every day, um, you know, whether it's at the Capitol or whether it's on the coast um, or whether it's in a classroom teaching people. We're going to be at all those places teaching people and um, helping protect our fisheries and the resource that we have, the renewable resource that we have. And so, you know, folks can get involved in several different ways, whether it's volunteering time um, to help those missions, whether it's um, donating a resource or a talent that people have. You know, a lot of people will call us and say, I don't, I don't have any funds to give and I don't really have the time, but you know, they're awesome artists that can donate a piece of work for, for our auction or, um, you know, they'll, they'll come volunteer at the office and help us, change light bulbs that are 30 feet in the air and we have no ladder to get there at the Mm -hmm. office. You know I mean? We have volunteers that do that. They just say, look, call me when you need and I'll bring uh, a big ladder or a man lift or whatever it is to make sure that your lights are changed. And so everybody can volunteer in some way. um, And everybody has a resource of some sort that they can contribute back, whether it's mentally or whether it's a talent or whether it's, um, you know, resources of, of whatever it is or whether it's time they can, Everybody can give something. And so, yeah, people can find a way that, that that's, you enjoy giving back to conservation. And, and whether it's the CCA or whether it's the you know, deer or turkey or elk or whatever else you like to do, find a way that you can use your personal resources to give back. Not necessarily financially, although financially is good. Find a way that you can give back in some, some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's educating uh, maybe that's giving of your talents or finances or whatever. Find a way cool. and get involved. Cool. Well, appreciate you hanging out for a little while yeah. and uh, chatting about a bunch of different stuff. Um, uh, some things that we have in common and some things I didn't know about. I thought it was really super crazy that we remembered two different parts of that trip that we were both on that that was pretty cool um anyway so all right so cca.louisiana.org right is that the website dot com dot com okay dot com for cca and then of course if you want to check out nolan's instagram see the knives that he has you i think you should definitely do that because even if you don't know anything about knives they're they're still pretty cool Uh, we didn't even get into all the crazy stuff that they put on knives nowadays like mammoth molar and 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 like sea materials from the oceans and like all kind of stuff like that uh anyway so thanks nolan i appreciate it yeah it was awesome thanks for having me lots of and thank you for the free cup yeah and look i'm drinking out of this one but uh this one's that one's carl's yeah this episode is sponsored by coastal conservation association
<laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Chase Doesn't Know podcast. I hope you enjoyed this extended version because we went quite a long time. Thanks for sticking in there if you're still listening. Hope you enjoyed this extended version of the podcast. Thank you again to Nolan for hanging out. Um, it was a lot of fun because we know each other, but also I learned a good bit and really enjoyed chatting about building relationships um, and uh, the logistics of managing 30 events in a year. Pretty impressive. Um, I hope you go uh, learn more about CCA and see what they're doing for Louisiana and for the outdoors and the coasts doing great work and look into becoming a member in your area like Carl is apparently going to do, going to push him. Um, So look into that if you're interested, if you are an outdoors person or not. The outdoors are, of course, important, so we must conserve and preserve them. CCALouisiana.com, if I'm remembering correctly, is what he said the uh, website is. And of course, you definitely need to go check out Nolan on Instagram to see his incredible knife collection. Um, It's really something to behold. And his tag is at Nolan Rennerson. Sorry, Nolan underscore Rennerson. I just looked it up on my phone just now while I was saying this. Thank you again for listening. Feel free to leave a review and subscribe. Not required, but always appreciated. This episode is sponsored by CCA Louisiana. And one more shout out, KnifeShipFree.com. Go check them out. Peace.